Welcome back to Kind of Funny's Halloween in Review. That's right. We are ranking and reviewing all of the new canon of Halloween movies. As always, I'm Tim Geddes, joined by It's Christmas in October, Joey Noel. Before this started, Nick made a joke that I was going to host this movie, which reminded me that last week I had planned to just talk about Twister as if that's what we were reviewing because I had watched it before, <laughs> and I forgot, and now I'm really, really mad. Damn. That would have been, Joey, that would have been amazing. Joey, you done that this week. Like yeah, but now I don't remember as much about the intricacies of Twister as I, I do. Of course, of course, of course. We have the weapons arbiter, Chris Anka. How's it going, boys? Fantastic, everybody. And, of course, the producer slash producer, Nick Scarpino. Top of the evening to you, Tim. I will, I will take that. I will take that. Thank you, Nick. Thank you. And then, of course, joining us, Funhouse's own, James and Elise Willems. I, I carry all of the villain? He just has a different perspective. I was going to say. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. The true antagonist is the level five. (laughs) The natural disaster. (laughs) Makes 90 degree right turns to pursue our heroes. (laughs) Was there ever a sequel to Twister? Like a straight to sci fi or some shit? Like Twisters? Return of the Twister? There should be. I don't know. I think so. Mm-hmm. Well, one day, everybody, Twister and Review. I'm sure Disney Plus at some point is going to get desperate, buy yeah. the rights however they have to, and make it all happen. Sister yeah. Act 3 coming soon, right, Kev? You know it, bud. There you go. There we go. Biggest <laughs> Sister Act fan in the goddamn world. Like Why I said. Say that from, it sounded like he said that from the bottom of a well. <laughs> Very echoey here. It is, it is. Kevin, Kevin's setting up some new setups in, uh, downstairs because James and Elise are going to be recording in San Francisco for Halloween Kills yeah. later in the week. So that you is mocked, very exciting. You mocked Kevin, but he's... I didn't my ask why I thought maybe he was in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin fell down Kevin the well. Bark twice if you needed to throw some Nutrigrain bars down that well. <laughs> you guys could have tied us into a, a, a rings in review. Yeah. Ooh. Like Kevin comes on camera, he's got the black hair, and he's in a white dress. <laughs> I you have the very long black hair. That would be an amazing he does. costume for you. I'll go to the well. <laughs> oh, God. No, it's going to be inside I you for so long. This is kind of funny <laughs> interview where we rank and review two different movies every single week. This week, we are doing Halloween 2018, and then later in the week, Halloween Kills. Uh, wrapping up this era of the Halloween movies until next year. But next week, we are returning to where it all began with the MCU in review. We'll be doing our What If in review. And then later... We're returning once again to Spider-Man. We're doing a Spider-Man rewatch. We will be rewatching all of the Spider-Man movies leading into No Way Home. So that's right. Next week is Sam Raimi's Tobey Maguire, Spider-Man 1. Uh, and then the weeks following that, we're going to start Ghostbusters. We're going back to Edgar Wright and review for Last Night in Soho and so forth and so forth. You can do the math, figure out the rest of the year. But it's very exciting times ahead. You can get the show on YouTube.com slash funny or roosterteeth.com if you want to get it as a podcast just search your favorite podcast service for kind of funny in review and we'll be right there for you if you want to get the show ad free you can go to patreon.com slash kind of funny just like our patreon producers pranksy and molecule have done uh but if you don't want to do that that's all good we love you anyways no matter how you consume the show we appreciate you today we're talking about halloween 2018 the third movie 
to be called simply Halloween. Uh, the runtime is one hour <laughs> and 36 minutes. Uh, the director is David Gordon Green. Uh, he is the uh, – hold on, sorry. I totally said this out of order. Uh, the runtime is hour 36. Director David Gordon Green said in an interview for Clyde that the first cut of the film was two hours and 15 minutes long and that both the side of the film and the entire and that entire scenes were cut out for pacing and length. This explains why there's so many deleted and alternate scenes in the trailers and behind-the-scenes footage for the film. So that's kind of an interesting thing to keep in mind as we, we go through this. i got to say, I didn't really notice for the most part. Like, no, I, like I did. Yeah, yeah I Ooh, can't yeah. wait to get into that. Uh, but it was released on October 19th, 2018. The date the film was released is also the day that Michael Myers was born. Spooky. Ooh. Spooky. Michael Myers is 61 in this movie. Oh. 61. Cool. Happy birthday, Michael. It doesn't look it. <laughs> yeah, it looks good. <laughs> uh, it was directed by David Gordon Green. He directed the dramas George Washington in the year 2000, All the Real Girls, and Snow Angels, as well as the thriller Undertow all of which he wrote or or co-wrote. But in 2008, he transitioned into comedy, directing the films Pineapple Express, Your Highness, and The Sitter. He also directed episodes of the acclaimed comedy series Eastbound and Down. Yeah, a lot of making sense. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It is, it is, because that's where he met his friend and frequent collaborator, Danny McBride, who he co-wrote this movie with, as well as the next two movies, Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends. Uh, so that's pretty pretty damn cool. If you ask you're right, me, hits me right in the heart, Tim. Hits me right mm-hmm. in the heart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Never would have thought a Halloween movie that Danny McBride is a part of yeah. would be something I'm into. But I, I'm an ass. Yeah, I I'm remember ass. when they announced they they sort of said he was associated with it and like kind of executive producing and writing. I was like, no, that that I'm, it must be a different like he go, it's Daniel E. McBride or something like that. Yeah. You know, Daniel that McBride. Yeah, but, uh, I mean, you see the flares of Danny McBride throughout this whole movie, and i got to say, they're welcome. They're very, very welcome to break the tension a little bit. Specifically with the dad and the kid in the car, I'm like, you can just hear Danny McBride Mm -hmm. saying what the kid's saying. It's so good. Uh, The music was done after a collaboration here between John Carpenter, his son, Cody Carpenter, and some other dude named Daniel Davies, but we don't know much about him and not just Wikipedia, apparently. (laughs) Uh, The movie had a budget of $15 million, and in terms of box office, it became the highest grossing Halloween film in just its opening weekend alone. It grossed over $255 million worldwide and is the highest grossing slasher film in unadjusted dollars, breaking a record that Scream had previously set in 1996. Pretty crazy. Pretty crazy. Elise Willems, I would like to start with you. What did you think of Halloween 2018? Damn, uh, now that I know this breaking scream records, I got a vendetta against it. Cause, you know, this is, a, this is a scream household, all of us, I think. But uh, I have to say I enjoyed this more this time watching it than I did the first time in theaters. And I think it's because I knew what I was getting. Uh, it, it had big shoes to fill and it had a lot of anticipation when this, this movie first came out. And I remember... Um, it also, like, came off the festival circuit, and it was getting, like, really lauded. It was getting, like, just incredible reviews. And then when it was theatrically released, it did get a bit of a bump down, I, I remember. But I, I enjoyed it a lot more, and I feel like James will probably talk about – he. I know he has some, oh. some oh. general issues with Laurie Strode feeling like she's a little bit uh, – well, there are lines that don't necessarily make sense. Like, she's – you'll you'll get into it. I know. I know you will. Um, 
And I, I kind of agree with the, the more and more that I rewatch this stuff, I'm like sort of coming around because at first I thought these were the ravings of a madman, and I was like, chill, yeah. dude, let's just enjoy Halloween. But now I kind of see what he's getting at, okay. especially since they retconned all the other movies. Uh, Judy Greer, Joey knows it's always you know, uh, smile ear to ear when you see Judy Greer. I like to say that <laughs> for the first time right now. Uh, always love to see her and stuff, and. Uh, and JLC. JLC. Yeah, I'm excited for kills. Mm-hmm. Well, with that, it's a perfect tee-up. James, what do you think? So, I, Elise and I are changed positions, I think. Because when I saw this in theaters, I didn't really like it. And I think it's because it was getting such great reviews. And I saw it, and I was like, eh? Like, it was just kind of like an eh? And it was breaking all kinds of records. And that always, for me, that's always going to add to the double eh. If a movie's just eh, and it, and everyone goes to see it, and it breaks box office records, then I just get, like, I feel, like, isolated. And so then I take out my frustration on the film, which doesn't, generally isn't fair. And when we were watching the original Halloween, I was not anticipating watching this one again because of my memory of it. But when we watched it, for the exact same reason that I think you maybe liked it a little less. No, I liked I, it more. Oh, you liked it more, yeah. Yeah. So then I guess we're the same. Um, so <laughs> I, I, knowing what I was getting into, yeah. managed to, I was like, okay, I'm just, I'm not going to care as much, I guess, like, if we're not coming off the heels of it being ravely reviewed or whatever. Um, I still think that a lot of my criticism, my initial criticisms of it when I saw it the first time still stand. Um, I think the movie's really confused about where it exists in this Halloween continuity. Um, cause I know they retconned everything, but as a sequel to that one Halloween movie that we just reviewed, it, it doesn't entirely make sense to me. Like, they push her as this, like, Sarah Connor type, I, but I, it doesn't necessarily add up. The I, way I think I was too hard on it because I think the first part of the movie is a really good depiction of someone who dealt with trauma never unpacked that trauma or con- or truly confronted it and now is dealing with this, the mental repercussions of that kind of fallout in her own life. I think all that's done really well. But once it gets into, like, the horror movie stuff and I'm like, hold on, she's created a Home Alone trap house, <laughs> like, for some dude who just killed her friend when she was young. Like, because, well, like, I don't know. I think a lot of this movie is predicated on the knowledge that we, the audience, know Michael Myers is this unstoppable evil force. Mm-hmm. But the only person in the world who's told us that thus far is a crazy therapist. Like, uh, the, well, one of the worst therapists in the time. They, they do this, this Sarah Connorization of her where she, like, militarizes her daughter and mm-hmm. trains her very much, you know, like... Uh, but but with Sarah Connor, it was because she had Kyle Reese come and say, like, he's going to come back, like, yeah. to prepare for this. But with JLC in this, Lori, it's not like somebody said to her, like, Michael Myers is going to come back. You better you better. Yeah. Train. I mean, he, she knows that he's in high security prison. He, but, it, yeah. It, 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 it's it, not like she had someone come from the future and say, Michael Myers is an unstoppable supernatural force. And you can't, like, you'll never be able to stop him. And the only way, he'll constantly come for you. And the only way to protect you and your family is through training or whatever. If all the other movies existed in the the timeline, sure. Yeah. Yeah. If you had that history, like, if she had any sort of reason to believe. Now, she can be screwed up. And I totally, my favorite scene in the whole movie is her just sitting in the car watching him get transferred. Because that seems very, that seems very justified. This person caused her huge trauma when she was young, killed her friends, and, and they're just transferring them somewhere, but is this going to go through, like, 
I get that. But the rest of it is like kind of a stretch for me. And I still, but I didn't, it didn't bother me as much because I kind of knew that it was part of this movie. And so I just sat back and enjoyed it this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll get into the details, but that's kind of my broad strokes on it. Nick Starpino. Yeah, I mean, I see, I see all those points. I think for me, Halloween, while it's a Halloween classic, obviously, I never really felt any sort of allegiance toward it. So when they announced they were doing another one of these and said, hey, we're trying to sort of make it a direct sequel to the original, I was I was like, I'm relatively intrigued. And I don't think it was the first trailer. I was like, all right, I can give this a go. And I, I think I benefited from walking into this movie having zero expectations other than let's let's hopefully it entertains me for an hour and 40 minutes. And man, I got to tell you, on second viewing, this movie fucking rocks. This movie just does shit. You're like, it'd be cool if, if all of a sudden bars came out of nowhere, like trap Michael Myers. <laughs> and, oh shit, there's a trap. Okay, let's do this, right? It's got all the hype lines. I love the dynamic between all three generations of uh, the Schroed fam- family women. Um, it's completely ridiculous and somehow grounded, and I just, I had, I had so much fun rewatching this guy. I loved it in theaters, and I was like, ah, oh, it probably won't hold up as much. I love it ever, as much watching it this time, and I love the runtime. If this movie had been two and a half hours, I don't think it would have had the same impact, because I think it knows what it needs to be. Fun. It needs to be a good, uh, sort of a successor to a classic Halloween movie. Build upon it a little bit. Get us in. Get us out. And that's what it does. So you remember all of those videos of like people's reaction to Endgame and like seeing Cat have the hammer? Imagine that, but it's just Never one person screaming when Judy Greer does the fake out gunshot. Yeah. That's yeah. me. I fucking love this movie. I've seen it dozens of times. Each time I watch it, it gets better for me. I think you know to, to James and Elise, like it's examination of what we expect based on our trauma with other Halloween movies and how it's. You know, to even have the conversation about, like, he just killed, like, four people. It's not that bad in a world in which now we have, you know, school shootings every week. What what we're basing all the trauma isn't terrible. But this, the movie just leans into all of this, and I think it's am- amazing. And I think the music is incredible. Like, I am I was dancing in the theater when um, oh God, yes. Allison's running for Michael, and she's just screaming. And I was just, oh, dude, I was lit. I love this movie so much. Joey well. This movie is dope. I really like it. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's hard not to. And I think it's such an interesting thing to watch this after watching Halloween 1, because I don't think I did a rewatch before I saw this originally. And especially after watching Scream, of seeing, like, I think specifically talking, like, what James and Elise talking about with Lori, of, like, it doesn't really make any sense that she has gone to, like, this extreme with, like, the weird like prepping side of herself in terms of like oh it's just her entire house is built around protecting her or and later like a trap for michael it's not a prison joey i know it's not a cage (laughs) but yeah um so that part to me i found i was like oh this does seem extreme especially since we see sydney throughout those like three or four movies and how she lives her life and it's so different the way that she handles trauma but i do think that the the character arc for Lori of like how this scenario has altered her relationships, the way that she lives her life. And like, even how that bleeds down into generational trauma with uh, everything that Judy Greer is dealing with and the way that she interacts with her daughter and her daughter's relationship with her mom. I think all of that is super interesting in like a very 2018 kind of direction of horror of like horror isn't necessarily just the scary things in the night. It's like also 
dealing with our internal processing of things that have happened to us. So I think all of that's super, super interesting. Knowing now that Danny McBride is part of this makes so much more sense because I laughed out loud at the line where that guy in, uh, is like, they were feeding me guacamole in really sexy ways. I was like, I don't know where this came from. This was not a line I was expecting in a Halloween movie, but it did make me laugh. And now that I know that it was Danny McBride, it all makes sense. Uh, but yeah, I like, I'm really excited. Judy Greer, so fun to see her in like, not the sidekick, like comedy role and to see her in like this drama dealing with like her daughter and her mom and like being in the middle of kind of all of this, um, was really fun. And I'm excited that we get more of her obviously later this week. Chris is right. Like that fake out moment is the best part of this whole movie. Oh my God. (laughs) First first time I saw it, it was not expecting it. I was like, oh, she is going to crumble and Lori's going to jump in. And she's like, gotcha. I will, I will disagree with everyone a little bit on the, on the point of like it it not being this cataclysmic thing for Lori, because the last time she encountered Michael, obviously the first time in this, in this canon, she stabbed him in the neck with a sewing needle. He went down once. And then they shot him a bunch of times, and he went down twice. And then he straight disappeared. So she's like, and then she has that one moment where he's like, he's he, like, she's like, he is the boogeyman. And Doctor Lewis is like, yeah, I've been saying that for a while, right? So I think to her, it kind of, like, it, I understand like logistically, you're like, all right, by now, maybe she wouldn't be this much of a shut in. But if you knew that he was coming back, like in your heart, and you just had to prepare, that's kind of where I like to think we found we we pick up with Lori, right? Where, like, right after that, she was just like, and she and she tried to have a life, too. Like, they alluded to the fact that yeah, she, kids. she had two marriages, she had a kid, yeah. both of them failed, and she just couldn't pull it together because there was this thing, this nagging suspicion in the back of her brain that the boogeyman was coming back for her. And then, lo and behold, that's where we find her, and she was right. So, I mean, I totally understand, like, it is kind of playing off of our concept of, like, we, we've seen Jamie Lee Curtis come back in some of the other, in H2O, right? Yeah. Um, which is not canon than this, but, like, so... I do – it is kind of confusing and muddled, so I can see your criticism of that, James. But to me, I'm like, eh, it's good enough for me to be like, what's going on with that repeater rifle or what's going on with this revolver? I like when she's like, revolver, it's my personal favorite. They never jam. I'm like, yeah. All right, Jamie Lee Curtis. All right. I think, I think some of it, too, is that, like, you know, if there was one more film that they were willing to consider – that to me is like more than enough to like establish that Michael Myers is like, like an entity. the one where she's not in it, but it's 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 uh what's his name the guy from Armageddon uh hunting her, him down because they alluded or, that to that he was there. Like, if you knew that all the time he's been in prison, he's been writing Lori or or something, so that it's like oh if he breaks out, he's gonna come for her. He's not just gonna go on any kind of murder. He just, he just keeps writing October thirty first, two thousand seventeen. Lori Strode yeah. coming <laughs> to you. I will be there. I will be there. I think that there's a little bit of that in this, too. Because, like, yeah, he did get shot, and he went out a window, and then he got up and walked away, but then got arrested. They leave that out. and it, I, Some of it, a lot of it, too, is also the fact that the original Halloween is a classic, but it's very much a classic of its time. And if they went back and then they somehow remade this movie's version of those nights of the events, I'm sure it would completely live up yeah. to what this oh, movie yeah, is yeah. portraying, right? Yeah, and if you watch that, if you watch Halloween right before this, you're like, hold on, what's the big deal? <laughs> He's probably limping on the street. They picked yeah. him up and then they took him in jail. I'm so, I'm so interested in this because, y'all, a couple weeks ago, we watched Scream 
one, two, three, and then four, and I had a revelation where I'm like, everyone, Scream 4 is fucking amazing, mm-hmm. and I love it. I feel the exact same way about this movie. Like, I feel like this does for Halloween what Scream 4 did for Scream, which was, hey, what's the absolute best movie we can make that is a reboot sequel in this new era of what we're dealing with where you have to deal with all the previous films that came before whether or not they're canon that doesn't matter to the general movie gore even to people like us because we know all this other stuff so we're extra critical about the decisions they make after watching last week halloween one and talking to you guys about it really kind of changed my opinion on how i felt about that original where the idea of it being this small town the idea of these people feeling invulnerable and then this one night this thing happens and rocks their world mm-hmm. i love that the lore we get in this is based off that world being rocked and like they're all of the, the deaths being so closely related to her and like chris was talking about last week with like the, the house of horrors that he ends up building with like the the bodies kind of like being revealed to Lori specifically um, with Michael Myers kind of being a part of this, this guy wearing a mask that we knew had killed somebody many years prior in the same town to then come back and be like seemingly systematically taking out these babysitters and shit and hunting down Lori, like really like traumatizing her for him to then be away. I can imagine her having to deal with the cops and the psychiatrists and all the stuff after. And the more information she gets about that night and about what else happened that she didn't see as a character, the more I totally believe, yeah, she went fucking nuts. And she made this, like, impenetrable fortress where she's like, yeah, no, he's going to come back for me one day because I tried to kill him and I couldn't. They shot him and it didn't kill him. Like, he is actually evil. And I fill in the gaps between... 1978 and 2018 of books that were written about this and unlike the scream way where it's like funny and like kind of like bullshit that they wrote books and like they were glamorized stories and stuff i think it's like there was a reality about the the situation of michael myers that halloween night that lawyers had to live with forever and the more detail she hears the more real it becomes to her and she can't get away from it and i feel like they did such a good job in this movie of making it less a slasher horror film and more a, all right, guys, let's just deal with it. Michael Myers is a star, and we want to see him kill people in interesting ways. We get excited. We get hyped when he kills people. When he drops the teeth, we're all like, holy shit, this scene is crazy as fuck. But at the end of the day, we are equally rooting for Laurie, if not more. Like, the one thing we want to see more than Michael kill people in crazy ways is for Laurie to fuck shit up. And I think this movie goes above and beyond by not just having Lori do that, but by having generations of her family do that. And the moment Chris is talking about brings it all together. Like, I really feel like that moment is why this movie was made. Like, Daddy McBride and them were just like, I have an idea for a movie for how we, like, make a relevant thing to Halloween in 2018. And personally, I think that they knocked this out of the park. I enjoyed the fuck out of it. <laughs> I will I will agree with you 100% or 99% except I think I think the that moment phenomenal, right? Top moment. I think the moment they all that they were working toward wasn't that one. I think it was the moment where Michael looks over the balcony and Lori's gone. Oh my god. That fucking moment. <laughs> that was the moment where I was like, "Oh right, Nick, my god, right. they fucking know what they're doing. This team mm-hmm. knows exactly what they're doing." Cuz what an awesome role reversal that was. We've never really seen like we you see Michael, you know, the, the film is shot from a number of different perspectives, but like that moment where he turns around and looks over and it's the exact same shot of when she looked over or Loomis looked over the balcony and he was gone. I was like, "That is 
awesome. Uh, Elise from Kind of Funny. Or from, uh, um, actually, we saw it in <laughs> Wes Craven's Scream 3 when Roman turned around and Sydney had disappeared and taken his voice changer with her. No one got that. Oh, they they also, also in Scream 1, right? When they turn around and she's gone. <laughs> this, but this one, I, I'm, I'm with Nick in the sense that this felt more impactful story-wise because that was the last scene of the, the first movie. And like, it was great. It's it just, oh, I just fucking love it. I, I, I just think that they did such a good job where I was debatably more scared of Jamie Lee Curtis than I was of Michael Myers in so many moments of this movie. Like, the, the scene James was talking about, about her in the car with them, like, being transported in the bus. Like, there's this tension there that, like, I didn't feel at all the first movie in just 30 seconds because it felt real. It felt like this thing where I simultaneously was torn ethically and morally in myself of, like, do I want her to kill him right now? Or do I want her to not kill him and be able to move on without doing that? And, like, that's fucking crazy coming from, uh, you know, whoever, the Daddy McBride. <laughs> like... <laughs> Dude, I'll tell you what, though, if I'm not mistaken, and granted, to, to your earlier, to your point, James and Elise, you're right, we have seen this before, but I challenge you, did they have the stinger when he looks over? Because that was the part that got me, where he I looks over, it. and it's the Mike, it's a Michael Myers, the shaped stinger that he, he, like, we hear when he's looking so freaking high. I will say also, just, this movie, I think, is very well directed. I think we talked about the editing, too, where they trimmed a lot of the fat out of it, and it legitimately has scares. So it's like it's fun on a level of like almost like okay what you would expect of a slasher any slasher right uh, uh, with a character that's like that is as historic as as the Michael Myers character but then there are moments like the moment with the 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 uh, motion lights gets me mm. it's very well done it's very well shot and it's and and when he comes out and he grabs Oscar like like you know uh, it kills him I'm like that is so they know how to pace that with, like, some of the silliness, some of the stuff you expect, but then also, like, straight up, like, good scares. And I think that's a good mixture in this movie altogether. Well, then, like, the, the, the one take where he's just oh. walking through houses oh, and a, we're, we're forced to be with him just uh, murdering. Brutal. And you had that one shot just the woman looking through, looking through the mirror and we're just waiting for uh, him to walk up behind her. And it's like, you can't get out of this. You're with him. Yeah. And I, was, I love, like, I don't know if you guys have, like, remember in the theater, we all had the... the Cringe of like whether he's gonna kill the baby or not. Yeah. Oh my god! And he stares at it, and I'm like, yeah. Oh my god. yeah. Have any of you seen any of the deleted scenes or content? No. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I'm, I'm really curious to know. That boyfriend uh, definitely is a deleted scene with that boyfriend. We're uh, get into yeah, it, but. that's interesting. He like never <laughs> comes back into the picture right after they he had does. the argument. He definitely comes. Or no, not not that boyfriend. The other, the babysitter boyfriend. <laughs> Uh, oh, the okay. boyfriend. Um, excuse he, he me, comes James. back into the picture. Are you talking about Cameron no, Elam, aka Lonnie Elam's son, Lonnie Elam, the bully that harasses Tommy Doyle in the first movie? No way. <laughs> yeah, no, the stoner guy that gets the tattoo is the son of the bully that was making fun of Tommy for the pumpkin. <laughs> That's why they keep talking about, like, oh, I knew your dad or all that stuff. He uh, does bring up Lonnie. That's right. Didn't, didn't, didn't Ray say he bought some weed off of Lonnie? Peyote, like that yeah. Peyote off of Lonnie? That's hilarious. Yeah. Wow. Oh, you know it's what? Actually, building. I think I might be messing up some characters there. I think it's you mean Cam- Dave. It's his two boys. Cameron. Cameron is the one. Whoever Cameron is is the son. Cameron is the 
cheating boyfriend, right? Cameron, yeah, yeah, Cameron yeah, Cameron's the guy that throws yeah, yeah, the yeah, There's cheating the boyfriend and there's tattoo boyfriend. Yeah. Okay, tattoo so it was cheating boyfriend then. Which is okay. Okay. Can we all agree that the kid that played Julian, the kid who's being babysat, that actor is stealing oh, yeah. the show. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, no, he's, he's great. He's I mean, like, legend, legend has it, he's still running. So he's, yeah, yeah, yeah. He just, he's like, I'm out. That kid did, that kid is, it's it's so funny because he did the thing that everyone, you you think, you'd like to think you would do in that situation. He's he runs past the guy, Dave's like, what's going on? He goes, don't go up there, you're going to fucking die. And then he just ran, and we never saw him again. <laughs> That's amazing. Honestly, though, like, that scene is why I love this movie so much, is that they? it wasn't just a generic kid with a generic babysitter. They made me invested in both the characters in yeah. this scene, so it's like, I didn't want either of them to die, where it's like, yeah. that is cool, because they, they set it up perfectly, where it's like there's the antagonistic kid babysitter relationship, but then it kind of flips throughout it. It's clear they both actually care about each other and stuff. So it's like, that was, I think, really well done. And talking about super hype moments, like, this this movie has so many of them, but Michael finding the podcasters, destroying them in the most ridiculous way possible in that bathroom, I don't even want to call it a fight, just decimation, yeah. the teeth and all that stuff, but for it to end with the music starting to rise first off with just like a rumble of like the different like notes of the theme, and then it starts kicking in, and then the piano kicks as he freaking opens the trunk and gets the mask and puts it on, I'm just like, let's go, dude, like I know that this is the cheapest pop of all time, but that's what I want from a Halloween movie, and I hate when they just don't give me it, so this movie just gave me what I wanted, and had more to it that I wasn't expecting. So what's it? Yeah. It has that get hype like where he where most. Cause I watched Jason X like a month ago, and it's like so much of that movie is I'm waiting for everyone to get killed, and that's what I'm here for. And so like that is a staple of, of slasher films, and you kind of have that with the like get hype Michael's coming back, but then you also equally have the get. This is a version of get hype. Let's not have him kill anybody. Totally. Like, we don't want him to kill everybody. So you have this dueling thing, and that's the conflict of the whole movie of like who's gonna who's gonna win here, and that's what's so cool about it. It is, man. And you know what else is cool? Our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Overland. Cozy season is upon us. And if anybody out there knows me, they know that I love being cozy. I love being comfortable. And now I've learned there's nothing better for my feet to achieve that than these Overland sheepskin slippers. I've been loving it. They are so soft. They're so high quality. And the biggest thing that impresses me is her whole life she has been like, I'm not a slipper person. Guess what? I'm catching her in these slips every day now. She looks so damn comfy. You gotta love it. Overland uses expert craftsmanship to pair the highest quality merino sheepskin, which is naturally moisture-wicking, temperature-regulating, and antimicrobial, with supportive memory foam midsoles to make slippers that feel and wear better for longer. Don't wait another day to slip into something way more comfortable get the best high quality sheepskin slippers on the market at overland.com slash kind of funny you'll get free shipping and free returns and i recommend you go today because these slippers are so beloved that they've been known to sell out that's overland.com slash kind of funny overland.com slash kind of funny o-b-e-r-l-a-n-d.com slash kind of funny next up shout out to Babel. a lot of us are thinking about travel again but not knowing the language of our destination can make even the simplest things harder but you can change that with Babbel, the number one selling language learning app. Their short lessons on practical topics from menus to directions to local culture make it a travel essential. Greg Miller's been using Babbel to learn a little bit more French so he can impress Jen, and it's been going very, very well. Babbel's 15-minute lessons make it easy for learning on a busy schedule. Other language learning programs rely on AI, but Babbel works with language experts to create their lessons. 
and Babbel's teaching method has been scientifically proven to be effective. With Babbel, you can choose from 14 different languages, including Spanish, French, and German, even Turkish and Indonesian. Plus, their speech recognition technology can help you improve your pronunciation and accent, because even if you are a tourist, you don't need to sound like one. Right now, when you purchase a three-month Babbel subscription, you'll get an additional three months for free. That's six months for the price of three. Just go to Babbel.com and use the promo code MORNING. That's B-A-B-D-E-L.com, code MORNING. Babbel language for life. And finally, shout out to Raycon. There's so much going on right now, whether it's stuff you're excited about, like traveling, or stuff you'd rather avoid, like traffic. You can't always control the vibes out there, but you can control the vibes in your own head when you've got a pair of Raycon wireless earbuds in your ears. Cool Greg's been training for a half marathon, and as he's been getting his run-ons, he's been working out, he's been listening to his jams using his everyday Raycons. He's been loving them. Uh, Raycon's new everyday earbuds look feel and sound better than ever. They've got an improved rubber oil look and feel and optimized gel tips for a perfect in-ear fit. Plus, you get three new sound profiles, so the sound is great no matter what you're listening to, whether it's a podcast like this, rock music, EDM, hip-hop, it's all cool. Raycon start at half the price of other premium audio brands, but they sound every bit as good. Right now, Kind of Funny listeners can get 15% off their Raycon order at buyraycon.com slash kindoffunny. That's buyraycon.com slash kindoffunny to save 15% on Raycons. Buyraycon.com slash kindoffunny. Now let's get back to the plot. I thought you were going to say the plot. I was, like, I was hey, going to, but then I looked at the time, and that's why I paused for a second. I'm like, <laughs> we, we can do the ads. We can do the ads. Go for it. I got hyped up. Now my energy level Give me your Randy Newman, Nick. Please tell us the story. Hey, please tell us the story. Good night. Halloween 2018, a Blumhouse production. He waited for this night, Tim. He's waited for me. I've waited for him. Let's kick this bad boy off. Where it all begins. <laughs> oh, right. I make this shout out to Jamie Lee Curtis. She gets it. She's just doing. Yes, she's it. just. This is her character. You can't take that away. Uh, we she's the producer on this as quick. well. I think goes into it. Yeah. yeah and a uh, fact for you, the reason Jamie Lee Curtis decided to reprise her role here, even though she was kind of like, I'm, I'm done coming back for these things, is uh, her unofficial godson, who she dubbed Jake Chillenhall, convinced her. Wow. <laughs> okay. All right. But, so that like you just widened. <laughs> okay, okay. I, I, I'm curious to know more about the relationship, but I'm also like fine to fill that in with my own headcanon. Uh, we start over at Smith's Grove, where the whole the original story started, with Dana and Aaron. And guess what they are? The most useless, useless thing on the planet. Podcasters. Uh, That's right. Me. God, so pretentious, these podcasts. Please, listen to me drone on and on for three fucking hours about the plot details and the thematic rel... It doesn't matter. Doesn't quip, rock. quip. <laughs> they come to interview Michael Myers before he heads over to Glass Hill, which we establish is the, is the seventh circle of hell. Uh, Dr. Sartan has taken over for Dr. Loomis. Uh, he brings them to Michael, who is standing in the middle of the yard, as they call it in prison movies, and he's chained to a massive cement block and all of this works for me it is eerie it's weird why is everything checkered pattern is that thematically relevant to the fact that we're going to play a little game of checkers later in life uh you know later in this movie Elise. i don't know maybe they just thought it was cool question nick so is michael just getting some sun here is that the point well i think 
I think well, if sure. you were if you were if you're taken to prison, they have to put you outside for at least yeah. one hour every day. My question is, how do they get him to the cinder block without him ripping everyone's heads off all the time? But they, I think they state about how he's pretty comatose at this point. That's like, true, right? That's like true. he's catatonic. Catatonic, yeah. He's he's not got a lot going on. He's kind of he, you know. That's why they're trying to get any sort of reaction out of him, right? That's, that's what true. the whole scene is. James, do you think occasionally, just randomly, they just show a picture of Lori? Like, eh, eh, no? They show him her address. Yeah. The doctor has a Lori mask on. He's like, ah. They're in a prison. What's that? Did you say that we're in a prison? No, we're in a, we're in the, the, like, we're in a hospital. Grove yeah. hospital, yeah. right? This is a hospital. Okay. So I said it's the yard like they do in prison movies. Cause yeah. you know, like where everyone has to be all tough and work out and shit. Um, which I always thought, hey, if you're going to be in prison, why not work on your physique? Uh, you got nothing else to do except for watch it back. Aaron introduces himself, uh, and gives Michael the address of all of his enemies. Oops, that's what I would do, Tim. Wow. Hey, there's this guy that wronged me in high school. <laughs> Here's where he lives, Michael. And he hates you. Uh, he asks Michael if he's ever felt guilt. And then he steps right up to the line and shows Michael his old mask. And all the other patients start going bonkers. Love the design of the mask here, by the way. I want to point out that it's, all, it's like it's weathered. It's, it looks like cracked rubber, unlike the original mask that was very smooth. And then small fun note that I noticed in this one, it still has the original hole from the, um, the needle. The, the sewing needle. Oh, that's, that's cool. Look, as he holds it up, it's got a little hole, I think, on this side of his neck, which is interesting. Cool. Um, and then he says, say something, Michael. Tell me. He says, say something. He starts curious. He says, tell me your favorite Coldplay song, Michael. Yeah. It's <laughs> Michael. We all know what science is. <laughs> is it a scientist, Michael? Yeah. Is it? Say something. And as he says, say something, he screams it. It cuts perfectly to the main title with that dope-ass redo beat. But instead of this time, instead of it zooming into the pumpkin that's go, that when the light goes out, it's a rotted pumpkin that's actually coming back to life. And I love every part. Come on, guys. Come on. You have a soul. This is fucking amazing. This whole opening scene, I think, is like the weirdest moment of the movie. And I remember both in theaters and watching it now, I'm kind of like, ooh, I don't know about this. Like, I like the elements. I like the premise. I even like how you described it, Nick. I think I actually like even better than watching the movie because it, it's just kind of weird. The idea of these true crime podcasters trying to get the interview, trying to crack the case, I like that stuff. And I like the way it's presented. I like all the people going crazy and it's like, oh, this is true evil we're dealing with. But there's just something about the amount of elements they add of like, okay, here's this yard. There's a bunch of yellow squares. We'll let everyone, all the inmates are, or in whatever you want to call them, stand like in their own designated little yellow square mm-hmm. and you can go near them, but don't cross the yellow line. Like there's just too many elements for it to be like real. So I'm asking too many questions as a viewer and it's taking me out of it. But then when everyone starts screaming and, like, it's cutting to a bunch of, like, birds and random-ass shit, and it just swells and the theme kicks in, I'm like, you fucking got me, man. (laughs) Well, I think that's the kind of thing that's, like, good filmmaking, right? Because, like, the elements aren't scary. Like, if you just had a GoPro, it's just a a really lame (laughs) British dude holding a mask up to a guy who's trying to ignore him, and he's just shouting. As, like, everyone else is screaming, like, it, it's really lame, but I think because of the way it's cut and shot, it, it builds tension, even though, as a viewer, you're unclear, other than the fact that it's building tension for a Halloween movie that you're in a theater about to watch, it's not, like, narratively building tension, you know? So, yeah. yeah. 
But I think that's the good filmmaking that is on display in this. I agree. I, I, and I think this is the per, this is the first example of the the filmmakers going, we get it, right? We know <laughs> we know what we got to play with here, guys. We've got all these elements. We're gonna get you in, get you out. We're we're not gonna waste your time with this, and we're gonna try to build as much hype as humanly possible. Well, it's like he pulls out the mask, the wind rises. Yeah. yeah, and then yeah. and then people start freaking out. Other people who are not even seeing that start freaking out. They feel it in their bones, and then they start freaking out. Oh, and then God, the God. alarms start going off. All just because a guy put on a mask. I'm like, this is what we need. This is what yeah. we need. And we brought him back to life. We yeah. brought him back to life. Um, I want to give a special thanks here to one James Willems. Uh, because you just saved my bacon. You don't even know you did save my bacon, but you did save my bacon. Because my day is trying to save your bacon, Nick. What I wrote in here is, tell me your favorite Coldplay song, Michael. Is it orange? <laughs> you thought Coldplay wrote a song called Orange? I was thinking uh, yellow. Uh, oh, yeah, I know. I we know you were thinking, you were thinking clocks. <laughs> and then clockwork orange. I know that's no, a stretch. But it's I remember there. they wrote a song that had a title that was the color. Great. And Great. I couldn't think of it last night when I was watching the movie. Our savior, James Willems. I do what I can, you know? So I just try and thank live. you for saving me from that embarrassment. Kevin, make sure you please cut this whole section out. Thank you. Haddonfield, right? uh, Illinois. Aaron and Dana head over to track down Michael's counterpart. If we can't talk to Michael, we're going to talk to his, his counterpart, Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, and as he's whispering, he's doing that pretentious thing where he's, like, talking into the mic. Meanwhile, Dana's like, can you just fucking turn right? It's right up here. And he's like... Could it be that the only hope for rehabilitation is through confrontation? And Dana's like, turn off the record, turn off the recorder, <laughs> stop <laughs> recording. We're here. Uh, but Lori isn't exactly the most welcoming of guests these days. She's gone full blown doomsday prepper. Uh, Aaron tells her through the intercom that they're making a podcast. Who isn't? Is what I say, uh, Aaron. Uh, so Dana tells her that they'll pay her three thousand dollars, and she lets them in. Uh, love uh, little touches here of the filmmaking. They use zoom lenses sparingly. Every once in a while. So instead of dollying in on stuff, I always love when they, they say, hey, you know, we get it. The original was a 70s movie. And, uh, Tim, I don't know if you know this or not, but a good trick of the low-budget filmmaker, if you want that dolly but you don't have the time to set it up, you use a little zoom lens and just kind of zooms in. And it's kind of cheesy. But you see it here when they knock on the door a little bit. The zoom It zooms in. And we see it in other parts where it's, like, zooming into different various things. And I, I think it's a nice little touch and a nice little, like, hey, what's up, John Carpenter? We, we see you. We see you. Your shots for the price of one. Exactly. Uh, Lori tells the podcasters they should believe in the, the boogeyman, or as the John Wick people like to call it, the Baba Yaga. Uh, we get a little backstory here. Lori is twice divorced and a self-proclaimed basket case who lost custody of her 12-year-old daughter from uh, for being an unfit mother, and she never regained that custody. Aaron wants Lori to confront Michael. They already uh, knew that. What's that? But they already knew that. Yeah, she's like, you already knew that. I love that. This scene was another one that I was kind of questioning, and then they did a good job of being like, Tim, stop asking questions, you fucking idiot. We have answers. Where I was like, I just don't believe that Jamie Lee Curtis's character would allow these people to come in, even for money. Like, there's no – that doesn't add up. And, like, what the fuck? But she's so just, like, curt with them and just so, like, keeping it real. And then she takes the money and just gives it to her granddaughter. I'm like, cool. I'm an idiot for asking questions because that totally adds up. Absolutely. Um uh, let's see. Uh, we cut over to Lori's family. We meet Ray, uh, who I will say, no one is sad to see go mm-hmm. in this movie. That is the one part of this movie that I'm like, huh, okay, mm-hmm. little, we could have probably had an emotional beat there when, uh, you know, they see Ray die out from, nobody cares. Everyone's like, Ray's That's on purpose, though. Like, I feel like they had um, to have a character to let us 
want to die or like be okay with dying because we were attached to the other characters so much. Telling, but who is Ray? I don't remember. The dad. Oh, the dad. dad. Yeah. Oh, the dad. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Peanut so penis. Also, the only other movie I remember seeing him in is Down Periscope. So if you oh, that, oh yeah. Oh, he's the guy who does he, he, he does yeah. the exactly. wires together. Exactly. <laughs> get it. Oh wow. Uh, we meet Ray. Now I meet, care that he's dead. Damn it. Exactly, dude. He was the comic <laughs> relief in that movie. Uh, we meet Karen, played by Judy Greer, who's Lori's daughter, and Allison, Lori's granddaughter. Uh, Ray warns his daughter of men who will knock her up, and Allison asks her mother if she invited Lori to her Honor Society Awards Ceremony, which is definitely not a real thing, Joey, because I would know about it. Uh, Karen Are you tells the Honor her, Society, Nick? No. <laughs> okay, just make sure. It's a real thing. I'm sure it is, Kevin. I'm an idiot. Uh, Carrie tells her that Lori is a agoraphobic, which when I was a kid and I was a stupid little kid, I always thought meant a fear of sweaters, uh, even though I know now that it's a phobia of leaving the house. Um, I'm going to need you to break you that down. sweater. Because of a, like agora wool? Yeah. Uh, Angora. Oh, Angora. Angora. Are you, Angora. Nick? You didn't jump to like a fear of blood. Or like anything with no, gore. In I it. thought no. I thought when someone was agoraphobic, they had a fear of angora sweaters. When I was a kid, I was stupid. <laughs> I was a dumb kid. Am I alone and, my, and having never heard agora sweater in my life? Angora, I believe. And you're just it is. sitting in your bed and listening to Orange. Orange. They call angora, right? Isn't that material? I think I so. Some mom from Bewitched. Oh cool, yeah, and it's angora like really is funny. Yeah, it's really Angora. Like, oh, goat. No, rabbit. Angora rabbit is what I'm thinking. Of. Angora mm. rabbit sweaters. They're really fluffy. They're very, very soft. And I thought people just had a phobia of them. And my mom, I remember one day, looked at me and gave me the look of like, I could, I could correct this kid. But also, I know hopelessness when I see it. <laughs> just poured herself a glass of wine. Uh... No, of course, she's agoraphobic. Um, she's actually not agoraphobic in this, though. Judy tells her that. Or, or uh, Karen tells her her daughter that, but she's but Lori's not. That's not her uh, her issue, which I find uh, interesting. Um, let's see. Allison tells her friends that her mom lied to her. She kept he's kept in touch with her grandma the entire time and invited her to the award ceremony. Uh, her friend Dave is a douchebag and explodes some pumpkins. Uh, but her other friend Vicky seems pretty cool. Over in school, Cameron is trying to wiggle out of meeting her parents. Uh, not a good sign, FYI. That's a red flag. We also meet Oscar, who clearly is in love with Allison, and everyone has great hairlines in this. Uh, Allison goes to class and sits in a very similar chair to uh, Lori, like the one Lori sat in when she first saw Michael Myers out the window, except this time, uh, again, the teacher's talking about fate here in the background, which I thought was a nice little touch, and then this time Allison looks out the window, but who does she see instead of Michael? It's Lori standing outside uh, same station wagon, though. It's crazy, actually, guys. She's been driving that thing around for 40 years. All right, I'll keep going. Uh, the, I mean, what do you want us to do? You change the oil, you rotate the tires, the car's in line for At some point, the state wanted that car back, and Lori's like, no, I'm not going to give it back to you. What do you do? <laughs> uh, Lori, of course, gives her granddaughter the $3,000 she scammed off of the podcasters and tells her to use them. And she's like, oh, I'll put it for my college career. And she's like, no, damn it. Use it for something fun. Go to Mexico. Have fun. Your mother will get over it. And then, of course, Allison's like, well, why can't you? And, and she's like, well, that's not what I'm talking about here. I had a slightly more traumatic event than what I'm talking about here. She's like, well, it, all of this stuff costs you your family. And she said, listen, if, I, if the way I raised your mother 
means that she hates me, but that she's prepped, prepared for the horrors of this world, then I can live with that. And Allison says, say goodbye to Michael and get over it. She's like, goodbye. Mm-hmm. But to you. Good day is what I mean. Uh, boom. Cut over. I love this. Because she says goodbye, and it's an immediate cut with a, with a, a sh- like a rifle blast as Lori is, is sh- in her shooting range with just the world's scariest mannequins. <laughs> I don't know where she got all these mannequins. I don't know how she set them all up over there. But somebody turned around one day at their local dress store and was like, what the fuck happened to all my mannequins? Where did they all go? I, here's the thing, though. With, with all this, as ridiculous as it is, if we didn't have this setup of the mannequins and we didn't have all the setup of Jamie Lee, like, kind of having the, the tricks and, like, Home Alone shit in her house, we'd all just be like, how does she know how to use the gun? How does she have all this set up? Like, I like that it, from the get-go, they're like, yo, this is her entire life. Like, right. she spends so much time worrying and thinking about this. Did it need to result in the shot of her granddaughter later, like, no. As it cuts between all the mannequins? No, no it didn't. That's the worst <laughs> shot in the entire movie. It is so stupid. Because the movie has already established that there is no threat. It was it was yeah. a weird... It, that's probably my least favorite part of the whole movie is, is her granddaughter falling there and screaming. And I'm like, that's not a scary moment, though. We know that... We know where Michael is. And we know... We know that that's just a place with a bunch of mannequins that your grandmother... The mannequins are terrifying. Are. Mannequins are terrifying. They, they are in a forest and you come across a field of mannequins, you're fucking horrified. Yeah, but like, you never imagine she knows that, though. It's just like, no, she's yeah. I don't know that she's been there. I don't think she's ever been there. Yeah, she's been through the forest yeah. there for the first time. But here's the thing even if she doesn't, an audi- the character not knowing and you, the audience, completely knowing means that the character might be scared, but I don't give a shit. <laughs> that was, so sure. For me, yeah. that's like, that didn't work at all. Fair but, point. If if they had done a thing where there are mannequins and she's like going through the mannequins and it's scary and oops one of the mannequin is Michael that's to me a subvert that's like oh okay like we thought we were safe because it's just the mannequins it's just mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, mannequins. Yeah. oh but one isn't have her just trip and fall and see mannequins that we know are just mannequins that she shoots all day it's like I've think... come across mannequins in your life <laughs> I have seen some scary yeah, mannequins that have big smiles. But I, I think they, I think the editor or rather the writer put that scene in there just as a quick little reminder to the audience that these mannequins still are around because they wanted that payoff when Lori sees them up in the room. My question though is, did Michael set those things up in that room or does she just have mannequins in her room? I think that's where she stores them when she's not shooting them. Makes sense. <laughs> better, better in your, better in your bedroom than anywhere else. Also, I didn't the I think she just keeps it. I'll also say this, like, because we're talk, kind of talking about it, like. I know I don't want to make it seem like I'm digging on this movie, but I think that, like, some of the stuff where she looks out the window and it's a direct – all these – there's already – we're only a few minutes into the movie, and there's already been many homages to the fact that where previously Michael was, Lori is now, is why some of that stuff at the end where she was lying there and she isn't lying there – didn't didn't blow me away because I'm like you've already set a trend of like this movie set a trend of where Michael was or where you expect Michael to be in a in a traditional horror film Laurie is now so it's I don't know I just felt like there's some things where I was like I wish that maybe they had pulled back on some of those overt place swaps like fifty percent just for me <laughs> just for me so I mean it goes even deeper than you even probably realize James. 
that scene of her in the classroom looking, she, the teacher is reading her the exact same passage oh, that was being oh, read to Lori from the same, yeah, like, lesson in the sense. class. That makes sense. <laughs> uh, we go, we cut back over to Aaron and Dana, who are listening to an old interview from Dr. Loomis, where he recommends the only solution to Michael Myers is killing him. Quote, it needs to die. It needs to die. Uh, we see a shot of Michael, whose left eye, again, as he's being loaded under the bus, uh, is blinded. It's got, it's like a milky white, because if you remember correctly in the last movie, he got stabbed uh, with the coat hanger. Again, another cool little little touch of, uh, hey, we paid attention. Uh, Laurie watches outside as the bu- uh, bus carrying Michael and screams as it pulls out of the prison. Uh, of course, because out of fear, but also out of the fact that she is torn between these two worlds. One wanting to follow Michael uh, and make sure that if he does break out, she can be the first person to kill him. And the other one wanting to go to Applebee's with her family. <laughs> and again, I love this scene. I, I, this is honestly one of my favorite scenes of the whole thing. I think it's like a perfect encapsulation of what she's dealt with. It's perfect. Turns out she chose poorly. But over at Avalon, Cameron and Allison are having a good time uh, with Allison's parents. And out of nowhere, Allison asks about Lori. Uh, things start to get uh, a little tense. But then Lori shows up and starts pounding the red wine. Uh, and she breaks down in tears and tells her family she saw the shape and wanted to kill him. Uh, and and uh, Karen's like, well, this is how I about how I thought this was going to go. Lori can't deal with this, and of course bolts. But before she goes, she yells to the staff, "Applebee's has rats. I found a whole rat in my cob salad." Mm-hmm. That's a line, Tim, from Tower yeah. Bigger Nights, The yeah. Legend of Ricky Bobby. There you go. And uh, three people in my birthday ones. An interesting thing about the the shape. So the, first off, oh Kevin, thank you, thank you for bringing up the Angora rabbit. That's what that is. You're welcome. Oh my gosh! Totally. <laughs> so fluffy. Thank you, Nick, for providing that. <laughs> uh, but they, they, so they call Michael, My- Michael Myers the shape, mm-hmm. and they never do it in the first movie. But he's credited in the credits in both yeah. this movie and the last, the original movie, as the shape. And then this is her kind of calling attention to it. It's a weird thing. Like, I, I don't remember if any of the other movies, Chris, maybe you know. Like, do they ever in the movies refer to it as the shape? Like, and talk about that more than just what we see here because like it's a weird thing like why would you call him that it's a dude <laughs> like it's like well i understand like some killers and shit like the shape would make sense but like like even it it transforms between multiple different things so it's like oh the shape that would make sense this is like oh yeah no it's a guy in a mask like we know who it is what it looks like it's like shape. Was, it, it was always the shape that. in the first movie because he, he's a boogeyman he's not a real person right. i don't even think you get it you didn't even call him by name but you he was always the shape, so I think this is the first time they've referred to that since the first movie, which is, I think, a nice, clever way to connect the two. Yeah, Tim, my, there's another there's another Angora rabbit for you, Tim. I put that in there like a smooshy little nose. Um, yeah, I think uh, someone in the comments last week uh, put it in there that the reason why he's credited as that is that he is it's it's the sort of boogeyman that's in, that's inside Michael Myers. Michael Myers is a kid, but he's gone. It's just this like demon presence or this 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 evil presence basically mm-hmm. that's taken shape in his body. So I think that was kind of the significance of that. But either way, I call him Mike Myers occasionally because it makes me giggle because I'm a huge fan. That's so why I married an axe murderer. Uh, <laughs> I just watched it the other day again. Hold up. Uh, after dinner, that, Nick, that reminds me of a uh, baby driver. When they're doing the heist and then they're they're all like, like, oh, hey, like Mike, Michael Myers, Michael Myers, Matt, Austin Powers, Mike Myers. <laughs> I laughed out loud on that one. Uh, I mean, that would be, by the way, a great costume if you just dyed that mask, like painted it white, and went with some some work overalls, and that was your costume. Mm-hmm. People would laugh. People would like, what are you? And then one guy would be like, very clever. 
Very clever. Mm-hmm. Then everyone else you have to explain it to, and therein lies the problem yeah. with unclever Halloween costumes. Most people would just uh, like you for it. Yeah. That picture would <laughs> yeah, be on. That picture would be on the front page of College Humor for like four months. Um, <laughs> yeah, two thousand eight. Hilarious. Uh, after dinner, Karen tells her daughter that she grew up pretty much learning how to be a badass. But that led her to a lot of therapy, getting over the paranoia and neuroses it caused her. Uh, Lumpy, who was the name of this character, we cut over to him and his father driving. Uh, and they're having, Joey, what I'd like to call the world's best conversation ever committed to film. <laughs> Lumpy is saying, listen, this is great because it's, it's a traditional conversation between, you know, a more like, you know, traditional old school man telling his son he wants to go hunt, and his son being like, listen, I really like spending time with you, and I will hunt with you, I do, but right now, I'm, I'm into dancing, it's my thing, I, I really like spending dance. time with you, but right now, dancing is my thing, it really hits me in the heart, is <laughs> what he says, it really hits me in the heart, and the dad seems like, you know what, kid, okay, I understand it, we're having a good conversation here. And I like then, to think that this kid just watched a lot of Dirty Dancing, really into Patrick Swayze, like, yeah. he's just found his calling. And I think who 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 wasn't you know? There's three of these scenes in the movie, which we'll call the McBride the McBride scene trilogy. Yeah, and uh-huh. it's it's great because I feel like the first time I watched it, I was like, he seems so tonally like 90 degree turns. But I second watching, I appreciated because they are essentially NOS driven, Fast and Furious. <laughs> we have 90 seconds to get you to care about the no people truth. that are, we are introducing and will be gone very soon. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it works. I think it works every single time. I agree. And I think it's also a nice, it's an interesting sort of like contrast between what happens next, which of course they, they real, drive. Real they quick, drive. in the scene, the, the song they're listening to on the radio is the same song that Lori is singing throughout the first movie. Oh, well, interesting. Which Wait, man, like they God. must have watched it a couple times before they made this one, huh? <laughs> yeah, totally. It's not a, a real song. Like, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis kind of um, improved it in the first one, where she was just, like, making up random words. So they t- for this one, they made it a real country song cool. to play on the radio. So, there you go. Uh, amazing. Uh, of course, they run straight into the prison bus, which has crashed on the side of the road, and has uh, and all the inmates uh, from the bus are wandering around in the dark, just like uh, when Dr. Loomis and Nurse Chambers uh, first pulled up to Smith's Grove in the original movie. Uh, Lumpy calls it, uh, calls it into the cops while his dad goes to investigate and probably dies. After a moment, Lumpy grabs the hunting rifle and goes to find his dad. He comes across a prison guard who is barely alive, and he says, wait here, I'll go find my dad. And the guard says, no, run. And that's a moment that I'm like, that worked for me. Yeah. Because the actor says it so well that you're like, if someone said that to me, I'd be like, Dad, it's been a pleasure. We've known each other long enough. i got to get the F out of here. Uh, of course, Lumpy does not use his dad again? I thought, that, I thought no. we did it. We don't? He's not the guy that um, Hawkins comes up to when he comes up, when he pulls up to the bus? He's going to do with like, his like, neck snaps. Oh, I thought that was the maybe. dad. We see him die, yeah. Maybe. Okay. We see yeah. his dead body. Yeah. Oh, I didn't, yeah, I didn't catch that. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, Lumpy, of course, boards the bus and accidentally shoots Dr. Uh, Sartan uh, before he runs back to his car to get the F out of there. And then Michael pops up out of the back seat and strangles him to death. Bye-bye, Lumpy. Cut over to Will Is Patton. Is that, like, the youngest person we see die in these movies? Because I, so. I was like, oh, I there was something about it being a kid mm-hmm. that, like, felt yeah. different. Even though I guess, like, the gap between kid and teenager isn't actually that big. Mm. But... I was just like, he was oh, older than Michael when Michael killed his sister. I guess it's true. I think it does a good job at like, 
establishing stakes for the rest of the movie because that's when we though we are afraid for Julian and we are afraid for the baby because like Michael's already killed the kid. Yeah. So the rest of the movie, it's like anyone can die now. There's no one sacred mm. in this movie except the baby. Mm. Shout out. <laughs> For now, who knows, 18 years from now, I might come after that baby again. He holds grudges, this Michael Myers. Yeah. We cut over to none other than Will Patton, who, of course, we all know from the significantly better asteroid film, Armageddon, right? Uh, he gets to the scene <laughs> to investigate. Screw you, Deep Impactors. I can't remember if that, this is the podcast we talked about. That yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, it sucks. Is. Yeah, it sucks. Also, uh, remember the Titans, where he was... King Panettiere's dad. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, he's he's coach in that? Yeah. yeah. Yes. He's also gone in 60 seconds. He's like, man, maybe don't try to steal that Mustang this time, Nicolas Cage. And he's like, I'm still going to do it. Uh, Kevin would actually is like would like to officially ask me to stop sending him pictures of Angora Rabbit. <laughs> so I will go ahead and do that now. He said, that's enough. And I quote, anyway, Officer Hawkins finds the doctor who asks, did he escape? And boom, once again, we cut over to a title card that says October 30. First, it's Halloween babies. You know, it's about to get down. Aaron and Dana visit the tombstone of Judith Myers, and we see a flashback of the scene when she was stabbed to death. Uh, then we cut over to Sheriff Barker, who's catching up with Hawkins, who tells him that Michael Myers is on the bus. And he's like, and, and he's like, listen, it's been 40 years to the day when Michael killed all those babysitters. But Sheriff Barker's like, don't worry about it, man. Not a huge deal. What are we going to do? Cancel Halloween? Uh, Chris. I want to give Hawkins a shout out because I was noticing it on this time I was watching it. Usually in horror films, you always have like the authority figure is at odds with like the main heroine. Mm-hmm. You know, usually it's like, oh, this mm-hmm. is happening to me, and then the, the, the cops always like, no, no, it's not. And I love that this movie establishes both Laurie and Hawkins as like the two old survivors of this, and the, in in how everyone else is juxtaposed to them, and so you're never you. you the movie's always going with, like, they're right, and we need to, everyone else to catch up to them. And so I kind of, I just, I always love the, uh, the, 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 simplicity of the fact that it's, it's, it's Laurie and Hawkins, they team up together. Mm-hmm. And I also just like how quickly Hawkins just throws away being a cop as soon as he seems like. Mm-hmm. like no, I'm not arresting this guy. I'm running no. him over. Like, we're we're done. Oh, yeah, yeah. He gets it. He gets it. I like that, too. Um, let's see. Where are we at here? Um, uh, let's see. Uh, over at the local gas station, Michael catches up with Aaron and Dana just to say what's up. Hey, what was the name of that podcast again? Is it Let Me Bash Her Head Into the Side of the Cinder Block Wall and Then Throw Some Teeth at Dana and Then Kill Her Mercilessly? Because guess what? That's exactly what's about to happen. This hey, Sharpino, this is a blink-and-you'll-miss-it thing that I wouldn't blame you for not noticing, but the gas station is almost an exact replica of the gas station prominently appearing in Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers from 1988, down to the exact same icebox from outside that was the same icebox they used in the original movie. <laughs> I'm trying to count that in this note. Yeah, yeah. Right below Coldplay song. Almost word for word. Elise, Elise, you had a. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it's just a dig at Nick. That's it. Fair enough. Fair enough. That was a dig. I thought you were defending him. I was. I mean, I guess it was. It was. Sometimes you can't tell the difference. Those are the best digs. The backhanded digs. Let's see. Uh, Michael, of course, calls, comes in, checks all the stalls. Yeah, this seems terrifying. He does the thing where he, he throws the teeth uh, oh. over. He starts dropping them over the stall, and I'm like, "Well, you're gonna die now." I think uh, well, I think you missed the best kill. Oh. I think I think when they're 
I forget, I think it's Dana's talking to somebody, and you see in the background, Michael is yeah. just beating a dude's brain into the ground. So, oh, I didn't like, catch that. You just see his arm just pummeling a guy, and it's the yeah. jumpsuit he takes. Very uh, small you see the that frame. Later? Yeah. I saw, I didn't catch that. That's interesting. I saw the, the, the guy who was like in his, in his uh, underwear, uh, in like undershirt. So I was like, oh, that's where he got the coveralls from. And then I was, I was very distracted by the guy who looks like Michael had taken his, um, hand and just ripped his jaw off. Yeah. And that was, oh my God. Horrifying. Horrifying. Yeah. Uh, of course, Michael, uh, kills Dana. He kills Aaron. He smashes Aaron's brains in and Aaron has to watch as he fades into death as Michael strangles Dana to death and grabs. Uh, goes out. He's like, "Where are your keys?" She's like, "Left pocket." He grabs the keys to the car and goes outside. Full daylight. I'm surprised that she didn't try to run away when he's beating the guy in this because she well, like she... grabs the crowbar mm-hmm. and like he's Michael's obviously occupied. I would have taken mm-hmm. that as like my <laughs> thing to run, but she's so committed to her podcast partner that mm-hmm. she stays in there. I'd like to think that Tim would die for me in this situation because we've been <laughs> podcasting together for seven years. <laughs> Uh, I would run. I would, Tim, FYI. I would run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. God, like, get out of there. We know, we know. Huge, huge hands. Uh, of course, he pops the back hood, and this is that moment Tim was talking about with music. It kind of slows down, and it's like a, a love theme where he picks up his mask, and he's like, oh, mask, I've missed you. Then he puts it on, and guess what? He's full-blown Michael Myers. The shape has taken shape. That's right. And I just wrote here, fuck, I love this movie. This movie <laughs> uh, over at the compound, Lori sees the report of Michael's escape coming over the news. She knows it's time to fucking throw down. So she gears up and tests her cool mechanical kitchen trap door. What is happening? Who cares? Get on the roller coaster. Karen comes home to an empty house. And then here's a little creek upstairs. She's like, what's going on? And maybe Michael's in the house. And then Ray comes in and he's like, hello, I'm so she's like, I don't care. Shut up. Who's in the house? Turns around. Who's in the house? Of course, it's Lori with a revolver. <laughs> Bang, you're dead. Where's your situational awareness? She's like, Mom, I don't practice that kind of thing anymore. It's been years. Ray's like, you got to get out of this house. You got a gun in this house. This is unacceptable. So she bounces she her, but not before she's like, here, take this gun. The thing I appreciate about Ray is he's from a different time, right? Yeah. He He knew Lottie when he was just this little, like, fucking bully back in the day. But I appreciate that Ray is written as if he was in the original movie. Mm-hmm. It's just he's in this different tonal movie completely. But he's just there. Everything he says and does is so just like aloof and like, ah, I guess I'm here. And I guess I'm here. it's like there's no chance this man was surviving this. Not no. a chance. We all do. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. He didn't even react at Lori pointing a gun at him. Yeah. Like, Lori's just standing with a revolver pointing right at him. Give me the like, No, it's my house. Get the, give me the gun. It's my house. <laughs> it's just like a girl in the first movie. Get me a beer. Come on, just get me a beer. Where's my beer? His love of his house and the yeah. authority he thinks he has. He's got, and at one point, he says, I do jujitsu. I was like, yeah. oh, Ray, maybe you're not that bad of a guy after all. <laughs> Turns out that Ray's probably just high as shit the entire time and has no idea what's going on. Anyway, uh, Karen, uh, at this point, this is when Lori's like, listen, the bus that was carrying Michael crashed. He's gone. He's escaped. Uh, And Karen's like, just get out, Mom. You're crazy. I'd be like, maybe if I was Ray, like, maybe let's hear her out here Mm -hmm. because something's happening here. Hawkins surveys the crime scene of Michael's latest victims over at the gas station. That, Tim, was exactly, almost an exact replica of the gas station. Failed it. Four. Failed uh, it. Season of the season of the Screamer, which uh, he tells Barker, he's like, listen, man, I was there that night. You don't understand. I was there the night they apprehended Michael. I looked into his eyes. We have one job right now. Hunt this thing down. 
And Sheriff Barker's like, what are we going to do? Cancel Halloween? He's like, it's not. You're not listening to me. Night falls. And parents start taking their kids trick-or-treating. Thank God, as a society, and James, this is no respect to your upbringing, we have moved beyond taking children to no trick-or-treat. No respect. We've moved beyond taking kids trick-or-treating at 3.15 in the G-darn afternoon, okay? <laughs> These kids are going out when they're supposed to go out, when it's dark and no one can see them getting mass murdered. We're going to have 45 minutes to get as much candy as possible as opposed to leisurely taking their time. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, like, you took so much. You were out so early you could take a break for a hot second. Have some yeah, you go home, out. and then you, you, you also, it's like you go dump some of the bag out at the ATM, a.k.a. your bedroom, and then you bedroom. hit the streets. Mm-hmm. Smart. I can't I can't fault that strategy. A uh, group of kids bump into Michael and we get that famous stinger for the first time. Then the freaking scene kicks in and this shot's some one shot. Michael see looks over, sees a lady in her garage, walks over, follows her, but she goes into her house, he grabs a hammer, and then he immediately walks in and we think, Oh, we're gonna we're gonna spend some time in here for a little second. Really get to know this. Nope, she's dead. He just beats her brains in with a hammer and then he upgrades the butcher knife, and you can almost hear like the video game stinger that happens. They're like level three because he like has the butcher knife now. Mm-hmm. So small. Like you didn't go with the. Like, you didn't go with the war zone noise. It's like stopping power rounds that you put in your thing. Of course, he walks over and you think he's gonna kill a baby, but he does not kill the baby because I feel like that would have been a little a little too far for the filmmakers. He would be irredeemable. Yeah, that's too far. It's a baby. At this point, I'm like, I know you killed Han Solo, Michael Myers, but am I going to be rooting for you at the end where you go against Palpatine? <laughs> James, that's a Star Wars reference. I don't know. I'm not familiar. I'm not familiar. They were all yellow. Uh, love that Michael. Yeah, we don't talk about that. Michael watches me outside as a young woman gets a call from her friend telling her, "Hey, man, someone got murdered in town. You should lock your doors." She's like, "Oh, thanks, Sally. I'm gonna lock my doors." And then she walks out to, uh, to go check the streets, make sure everything's clear, and she peeks through the blinds as Michael walks in behind her. And again, you think like, oh, she's going to close the blinds and we're going to see a slash of blood. No, Michael just like stabs her right to the neck. And it's very violent and very cool. Brutal kills. And I'm just like, I feel like something that I like about this movie is that the stuff that happens off screen and the stuff that happens on screen are like equally as impactful, even if you don't see it. And I, it just stresses me out. (laughs) I love this scene scene so much. I think that they, again, it goes back to a lot of it is kind of the cheap poppy stuff, but when you nail the cheap pop and you just deliver the fantasy of what people are looking for from something, it really works. And this is, this is that done right because we're looking for the one shot. We got it in the first movie. What does a modernized take look like? And I think they did such a good job of putting us on a journey as he walks through. Of This is his return. It starts with the first time we hear that the little chime going off. He starts going through. We're following him. Unlike the first movie that was like from his perspective. Like, we see Michael Myers. He has his mask. He has his outfit. And he gets the hammer. And we're all like, that's not Michael Myers' weapon. Like, no. And then he goes in, immediately kills somebody. And when he gets the upgrade, we're all like, Fuck yeah. yeah. And then like Chris was saying, we hear the baby and all this. We're just like, don't do that. No, Michael, no, it's too far. And then he doesn't do it. And we're like, yeah, good, Michael. We love you, Michael Myers. Like, it just delivers what we're looking for to root yeah, for like, this horrible, horrible person. And then he doesn't kill the baby. We're like, yeah, don't kill the baby. Don't kill the baby. And then it goes to the other house. It's like, we're like, kill her. Fucking kill her. Yeah. That's what you get for thinking the world is pure and good. Of course, Tim, you'll understand this is a low-key homage to 
1987 Predator, uh, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, where uh, he says, he didn't kill you because you didn't have a gun, no sport. That's why I didn't kill the baby. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we just like, I don't want it either. I would just like to let you know that Nick has moved on to slacking me the pictures of the Angora bunny. We cut back over over to Vicky. She called. Uh, she couldn't come to the party. Oh, I'm sorry. Allison and Cameron make a splash at the school Halloween party as reverse Bonnie and Clyde. Uh, Vicky gives her this a call. This is dope. I think it's fun that they switched it. It is. They're just partying. I like Having this. a good time. Although I will say this. I want to go around the table real quick. Did any of your high school dances have drinks or food? You see this all the time. In, no. Remember in Back to the Future, they got the punch bowl that Biff spikes. In this one, they've got a whole room full of snacks and pudding and shit. I'm like, there's no way they would have no, done that at John W. North no. High School. No. Class 1998. Our, like, prestige dances, so, like, the winter balls or the oh, yeah. senior boats or the proms, those those but would have – When you go out on a boat, similar to, like, what Nick does for comedy, but mm-hmm. we did it to dance. Okay. Uh, wow. But uh, <laughs> they, uh, there would never be like the the punch bowl or anything. But there would always be one ridiculously extravagant, unnecessary thing. Like one time, there was this mechanism that I swear to God, I've tried googling to find, and I haven't been able to find definitive proof that this wasn't just a figment of my imagination. But it's like a chocolate fountain. But it would every once in a while. There was, like, a tube that would shoot strawberries out, and the strawberries would fall down the mountain and get covered in the chocolate. So they would then be at the bottom, and it would end with these chocolate-covered strawberries. It was, like, so advanced. The technology was crazy. It was a a figment of your imagination. (laughs) You were, uh, yeah, you were young. You can make it real. (laughs) Technology. Kevin will make that for you in your car if you want him to. Uh, Vicky calls Allison and says, listen, I can't come to the party because I'm stuck babysitting. She invites Vicky uh, and Cameron to come over after the dance and smoke a little of the Alakazam. And then Julian, the kid she's babysitting for, is like, you guys are talking about weed. I'm not stupid. It's the year 2018. (laughs) And their exchange here is freaking hilarious. She's the, it's great chemistry between these two. These two, uh, and then Vicky puts him to bed, and she tells him, "You know, I was actually kidding earlier. You are my favorite kid. I babysit for." And he goes, "I like you too." That's cute. Uh, and then Julian looks over and stares at his open closet, which is the most scariest thing ever. Uh, Allison sees Cameron making out with a sexy tiger, so she bounces. Uh, Lori tries to call her, but Cameron is caught up to her by this point, and he's getting super defensive. He's like, what did you do? He's like, we were just talking. And then she goes to answer her phone. He's like, oh, your precious phone? And then he takes it, and he throws it into a big bowl of pudding? What is this? I don't know that I've ever seen a 45 seconds of filmmaking that made me feel so torn. Yeah. Where it's just like, I am rooting for them. And I'm like, yeah, Bonnie and Clyde, oh, you're reversing yeah. it. This is great. And then all of a sudden, it's like he's with the other girl. I'm like, oh, this doesn't look good. And this is bad. Oh, how are you going to get out of this? And then he does it in the worst way possible. And then, then it's a total dick. And I'm just like, don't do that to her. I guess, like, it made her more endearing to us. I don't really know. This is kind of weird. I mean, across the board, I would say broadly this movie has a sentiment of men are either weak or they suck. Mm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think that there's anything wrong with that, but I think pretty universally, 
like with the exception of Hawkins, Hawkins. Yeah, who, yeah, okay. who when you put next to Laurie is weaker too. Like yeah. his process of decision making and Good defense point. and and everything. he's the weaker version of her. And then like you have all these characters that Ray, Cameron, like every single one and are all weaker. And I I mean I don't I don't know that there's necessarily like a statement that they're trying to make, but I think that this is a a world of strong, nah. powerful women. Except, I would say Plumpy is, is the male hero. We need Plumpy. to go into dancing or whatever. Uh-huh. And whatever yeah. the name of the kid that... I'm trying to look for the name of the kid right now. Julian. 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 male Adolescent and above. Healthy masculinity. Dude, Dude, Plumpy, got, Plumpy got taken from us too early and Julian bailed. Because yeah. he's, he's smart. Yeah, smart. He's like, I'm out. Yeah, Do you guys yeah. think we see Juliet in, in Halloween Kills? I, I hope so. really, I hope really so. hope so. They're running. That'd be amazing. So he comes back all armored up. Like I swim to the Toys R Us. I'm ready to go. Let's do yeah. this. Yeah, <laughs> I've been I've been there, done that. Give me the revolver. Uh, Dan, uh, by the way, by the way, Nick, it was cheese. It was nacho cheese. Oh, uh, uh, well, thank you. Okay, that makes. That's sense. even grosser. Yeah, that's jerk. But I mean, it makes more sense if you're at a. I'd rather have nacho cheese than putting at a dance. I think. Anyway, Lori calls. Uh, Dave what comes a choice. Up. I'll pass on. I'll just choice. pass. I'll eat when I get home. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's yeah, that's because you're healthy. But if you're talking about me after a couple spiked punches, I'm like, not to chew. Actually, would go down pretty hard right now. Although maybe not that big of a bowl of it. Digress. Can you imagine like you dip in? You're like something's in here, and you get you get the t- second chip, and you pry out a cell phone. You're like, well, I've been eating this dip for 30 minutes before I found the cell phone. Nick, we would both just keep eating. You know. I'd be like, Kevin, put it back it. in the bottom. It was yeah. seasoning it. It was seasoning like a bouillon cube. Dave, Dave comes over to hang out with Vicky. Dave got a tattoo of today's date to commemorate this night. And Vicky's like, you know what, Dave? we got to talk. You make poor choices with your life. Uh, no, she doesn't actually. She says, I'm going to dry hump the shit out of you. I love it. It's such a fucking high school kid thing to say. It's so yeah. weird. But, like, dude, we've all been there. You know what I mean? Yep. Uh, they make out on the couch, and Vicky hears a noise. Like, upstairs. what's so important about this night? Like, there's, I don't, like, is, did they agree to like lose their virginity? Like, I don't understand why not the tattoo. There's not no context for the tattoo. Oh, wait, baby. Oh, like, like, it would have been great. It was entirely for the poster of the movie. Yeah. Dave's hanging body with the knife, and then the tattoo on the side, like Halloween. Ah. Like, that would have, that would have been dope. But it makes no sense in the movie. I mean, I think that's. I mean, I think there's a lot of Dave, and maybe Allison that got cut. Somewhere out there, there's there's more stories. There has to be a reason to this. Sure. There has to be a reason. I kind of feel like they were going to have sex. Like, I, you don't say you're going to dry hump somebody. Yeah. I think, nice I think that was sex. just being cute. Like, I think it was like, <laughs> I don't know. I, I imagine that it had there not been a killer in this house, that things would have gotten wet. Oh, for well, sure. Promises, <laughs> promises. Here's my, here's my thing. Here's my thing, though. I feel like Vicky. I'm, I'm reading a lot of this character, but I feel like Vicky as a character would not do that with Julian in the house. I think that's where the dry humping comes in to play. I feel like she had a lot more respect for this kid than the original babysitters did, walking around completely naked, running across streets and stuff like that. Now, Nick, I do. I think it's a, a, an interesting time to bring up the premature ejaculation count brought to you by Nick Sarpino yeah. and Tim Getty. No, I thought you were. I yeah. thought you were going to let that die. No. I thought you were going to let that just finish and move on. <laughs> What was the song again? Is it pre? Squirt, squirt. It's like squirt, 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 squirt something. Squirt, squirt. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Welcome to the premature ejaculation count here. Tim, take it away. There's none in this movie. It, there you go. It's almost there. It's almost there. I do like that when he has to get up, he's just like, all right, little buddy. Like, he's talking to his own dick. He does. <laughs> so high school. It's ridiculous. But, yeah, the premature ejaculation count still remains in the Halloween yeah. series at two. Two total. Two. 
Two in the last movie. Judah's so, boyfriend and Bob, right? Bob got off very quickly. That's right. Mm-hmm. Judah's boyfriend, we just assume because he went up the stairs, 15 seconds, came down the stairs, putting his jacket back on. Uh, Julian jumps out. Oh, excuse me. Uh, they make out on the couch. Vicky has a nose upstairs. She makes Dave go look, despite the fact that Dave is not exactly what we'd call a fighter. Uh, Julian jumps out of nowhere and tells Dave the boogeyman is in his house, and Vicky says she'll go check. And Julian says, no, 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 no. Send Dave first. Hilarious. Uh, Vicky takes Julian out a little bit first, which is like, who are you? What are you doing in this house? And then she jumps out at him, and, and she's like, uh, we're just kidding around. Uh, meanwhile, Dave goes out back to smoke some of the Alakazam, uh, and he uh, sees a cool Harley in the garage and fires it up, and then he dumps it on the ground like an asshole. Uh, Vicky puts Julian to bed, and, and she uh, he asks her to close the closet door. And she's like, no problem. When she goes over, well, I, I love the establishing that Vicky really didn't look because he's clearly in the room. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he did. He did. Closet. He is there. Yeah. yeah. Julian again being like, she here's the thing. Julian, not a stupid kid. Some would say actually very, very, very smart. Tried to sacrifice Dave first because clearly he has affinity for Vicky. But when they, yep. when when it comes down to it, he was like, hey. uh, you mind, uh, you mind going to uh, close that closet door right now? Just to give him the extra eight feet to get the hell out of that room when Michael started killing Vicky. <laughs> I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but I am saying it's smart. Uh, of course, when she goes, she tries to shut the door. And who should pop out? The shape. Michael Myers. Uh, and he slashes at her, and then he pulls her back into the room and stabs her to death. As Julian runs downstairs, uh, Dave hears, of course, the, the screaming from inside. He comes running back in. And Julian runs right past him and says, don't go up there. You're going to get killed. And Dave's like, no, I have to do something. I'm, finally, today's the day that I'm going to stand up for myself. And he grabs a butcher knife. How'd that go for Ju- you, Dave? Julian has one other banger line. It's when he sees, I think, when Vicky first gets cut, Julian turns. He's like, he turns like he's about to run back up and goes, oh, shit. And then yeah. runs back down the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Gone. Just gone. Perfect. Uh, meanwhile, Hawkins gets a call about a domestic disturbance, and Lori, of course, is scanning as she's listening to the police scanner. She over here, so she heads to the scene as well. Uh, he heads over to Julian's house and finds an open door. When he gets up to Julian's room, he finds uh, a body covered in a sheet uh, like a ghost. And again, a little homage to that scene that Tim loves the most uh, from the first movie where Michael Myers walks into the room dressed as a ghost, except this time when he uncovers it very quickly, it's Vicky's dead body. Lori looks up in the window in the other room and spots Michael upstairs. And, man, let me tell you, just like Val Kilmer in Heat, she does not fucking hesitate. She sees it and just opens fire on him. I love it. Uh, Nick, did you see that uh, Val Kilmer is trending today on Twitter? Why is that? I, I don't know. But uh, I, hope it's right, I was yeah. clicking on it because I was curious. I thought that maybe, like, oh, is he also going to be in the Flash movie? Like, that could be interesting. Um, and all it is is just a bunch of gifts from the heat. So there's there that. There you go. There mm-hmm. you go. Great movie. Again, just I'm sorry, Tim. I'm sorry to uh, to, to, to uh, correct you here. The Heat is a <laughs> classic, some would say top-tier comedy starring Melissa McCarthy and, no, and one wouldn't. Sandra Bullock. That is a lot. Uh, some would say it's top three. Some would say it's top one. Heat is a Michael Mann classic, starring Robert De Niro and Al Pacino, thank you, and Val Kilmer. Excuse my ignorance, yes. We're both, both of the highest caliber of filmmaking. I just want <laughs> everyone to know. <laughs> yeah. I think Elise is checking her text messages. Rightfully so. No, I, I was start looking about to see heat. why Val Kilmer was trending, and nobody seems to know why he's trending. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Could it be the Ghost in the Darkness? Is he in oh, that? He is Does in Ghost know? in the Darkness, yeah. He was. Island of Dr. Moreau. He was in those two mm-hmm. things. 
great. But you uh, know, okay, so apparently it's from a quote. Someone said, saying you prefer Johnny Depp over Gene Wilder is Willy Wonka is like saying you prefer Val Kilmer over Michael Keane is Batman, and it spawned out of there. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I get it. Yeah. I totally get it. I get it. Uh, Hawkins spots Michael and pursues. He gives he sees Dave nailed to the wall as he runs back downstairs, um, and then he runs right smack dab into Lori. And Not only nailed to the wall, but Michael pulled his shirt down just enough so you saw the tattoo. <laughs> he loves head dressing. There's something else. There's a missing scene here because where it leaves him is him grabbing a butcher knife. And I get it. There's tons of movies where you can do it comedically or like like do like oops. And he's like, let's do it. And it's a build up, and then he runs, and then it immediately cuts to him dead. But there's like a lull of Hawkins. And, like approaching and like kind of ex- half exploring the house before he finds them and then it's not even like there's definitely a scene here where Dave has a very unfortunate confrontation with Michael Myers that I think that they were like eh, it's going to result in the same thing anyway and I feel like the tattoo has to be involved <laughs> I imagine like Michael's like putting them up and then, and then like the, the shirt slips along and he's like what's that and he's like oh wow so with this bit, I, I want to bring this up. I, I screenshotted a comment that uh, Cola Central left on our YouTube video from last week for Halloween 1. Uh, he says, Tim mentions the ghost costume scene seeming out of character. The thing is, it actually ties into everything else in the film. It's called Halloween, the season when everyone wears scary costumes. Michael's a yeah. messed up person who takes the idea too far. He first kills when he wears the clown mask. Then, as an adult, he goes out of his way to steal a new mask. Then, he wears the sheet. Finally, he sets up a haunted house with the dead bodies in the grave. Notice that he panics when his, mic- when his mask comes off. The whole thing is about the power he gets from embodying something that isn't human. The sheet scene, therefore, perfectly ties to that theme. And I was like, hey, you know what? That's I'll a pretty, pretty solid point. Yeah. Pretty solid yeah. point. That's one of those things that you say to John Carpenter at a con, and he goes, Cool! Uh, We catch back up with uh, Dr. Sartan. Uh, Everyone's now on scene. He updates everyone on the situation. He says, Michael will just keep killing unless he's captured. Uh, Sartan freaks out when he sees Laurie uh, Strode. He says, uh, he's like, oh, my God, you're Laurie Strode. I'm a huge fan. She says, you're the new Loomis. Uh, and then Dr. Sartre, he's like, I'm a fan. Listen, he tells Laurie that Officer Hawkins was the one who helped apprehend Michael back in 1978. And then Laurie fires, fires back and says, did you know that I used to pray that he'd break out? I pray that he'd break out so I could kill him. And then Will Patton goes, well, that's a pretty dumb shit thing to pray for. <laughs> and then the scene ends awkwardly on that line. Allison and Oscar walk home, and Oscar confesses his love for Allison. It's like, yeah, good. we know, bro, we know. Uh, and then Hawkins and Sergeant drive around looking for Michael. It is worth noting here that uh, the sheriff was like, take the doctor with you. He can help. And we'll, and, and uh, Hawkins is like, you want me to take a wounded civilian on a hunt for a serial killer right now? That seems like a bad idea. And the sheriff's like, what could possibly happen? What, are you going to stab you with a knife with a secret pen scalpel thing that he's got? He's just been hiding on his body the whole time? stupid. Anyway, Hawkins, they drive around looking, uh, I think, going over to Lori's house. Uh, they have a conversation about why, what Michael feels when he kills, and Sarchin's like, I, I I, don't want him harmed. This is the perfect time to, like, study evil. And, and Hawkins plans, like, I'm going to put a bullet in his ass. I don't care what you say. <laughs> Lori shows up at her daughter's house with the cops, and now Karen finally is like, maybe I should take this seriously. Karen and Oscar take a shortcut through the cemetery, and Oscar, excuse me, Allison and Oscar take a shortcut through the cemetery, uh, and Oscar tries to kiss Allison, who leaves his ass in alert. Oh, the cemetery. Creep. It was like a backyard. Yeah, it's someone's backyard. Just someone's backyard. Right. We're not used to, listen, we're city folks. We're not used to seeing that much space on (laughs) public property. I thought it was (laughs) cemetery. 
You're right. It was because it was he knows the guy's backyard. Uh, yeah. Cutting through. Right? He, he mentioned him by name because he thinks Michael's that person. Also, uh, there were those big flood lights, uh, which makes more sense. You know what it reminds me of? Elise, you'll appreciate this because I know it's one of our favorite movies together. It reminds me of the secret area that Julia Roberts and Hugh Grant sneak through in One Notting uh, Notting Hill, and then finally at the end. You just say yeah. Yeah, and yes, I really yeah. like Reese Spons or that or whatever his name is. Okay. <laughs> cool. He was great. He was great. He was the one. He watched her underwear a lot. Uh, let's see. Speaking of creeping, Michael creeps up on Oscar who asks, hey, have you ever really liked a girl and couldn't have her? And Michael's like, actually, most of the girls I like, I stab through the head with a kitchen knife. Uh, then the most intensives go off, and we hear Michael breathing, uh, and it's super creepy and scary until, boom, slash, they pop back on. He just stabs Oscar right in the freaking spine. Uh, or slashes at Oscar, and then Oscar tries to run away uh, to, to jump over the wrought iron fence as he's, like, okay. uh, screaming bloody murder, and then he just stabs him right in the spine there, and then Oscar gets impaled through his mouth. Oh, so brutal. This Oscar movie does such a good job with, like, the body gore shit of, like, not necessarily needing to show us, like, someone getting stabbed over and over and over, but just the end result, and it's like, we can kind of put together the rest of it, like, all we need to, and it makes it even scarier. Like, this scene of him with the thing through is, like, way too much, and earlier, like, we were talking about the guy's jaw that's, like, dislocated on the uh, the table. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, it's just, brutal. just enough of it. It's the perfect amount. So Oscar uh, made the mistake of running, like, he ran into a, a wall. He's running in a circle, and Michael can't do shit. Just do a brisk pace, just a light jog, okay. and you're fine. You're totally if, fine. If you asked him, he would say that the reason is because his cape got stuck, but mm-hmm. there's no way that kid was making it over that fence. No. Oh, no. He was not making it over that gate. There's no. no way. I, I love, like, this kid, especially in the scene, it's like, yo, bro, you need to figure some shit out. I mean, you don't have more time. You're fucking dead. Maybe mm-hmm. it was too cruel a punishment. But uh, I really appreciate his commitment to just being this drunk teenager because, like, he's, like, running around, and when he falls, and just, like, multiple beers fall out of his pocket. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so funny. He's like, carry like a six-pack on him, too. Yeah. <laughs> hey, man, I've been there. All, all we need is like the red nose and the cart like the cartoon hiccups. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Um, I would just like to update everybody. Nick has moved on from the Angora bunnies to just sending me pictures of Bruce Dern. Yeah, he looks like the bunnies. They look oddly the same. I'll send them to you, Elise. Don't yeah, about it. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> Uh, Allison, of course, runs back to help. When she does, she finds him impaled in the fence. The lights kick back on, and she comes face and to face. And the music the drops. With mm-hmm. the shape. And the music's awesome here. Uh, and she's like, oh, crap. And then she runs from house to house, screaming bloody murder, just like her mom did 40, or grandmother did 40 years earlier, except this time somebody finally answers. Because people in this town have learned, if a kid's screaming at your door, please let that person in. The cops go to pick her up and take her back to her mom. Uh, Dr. Sartan tells everyone, I'm a doctor. Lock your doors. Which is a really weird thing to say to someone. I, like, I always wanted Hawkins to be like, he's not that kind of doctor, guys. Like, yeah. Just, you don't, like, go inside, but don't listen to him. But Even if guys. he was a doctor, like, what is that? What is that? Yeah, lock your doors. Yeah. I don't know. But. Okay. <laughs> my safety advice from doctors, you know? Absolutely. Uh, especially when it comes to running away from psychos, psycho murderers. Uh, uh, over at Lori's house, Lori's compound, rather, uh, Karen uses the garage remote to enter the basement panic room while Lori and Ray, with Lori and Ray in tow. Ray doesn't seem to be taking any of this seriously until Lori opens up a door to the armory. Uh, and she says, he waited for this night. He waited for me. I've waited for him. Hawkins spots Michael walking down the street and, and just is like, I'm going to just hit him with the car. 
and the doctor's like, you can't hit him with the car. And you think that at one point the doctor's just going to, like, yank the wheel out of the way so he can't. And nope, he just plows right into Michael. And I'm like, good for you. Uh, I also but, love attaching this scene to the last time we saw him. So he kills, he kills Oscar. And he's just been having a slow yeah. neighborhood walk mm-hmm. ever okay. since. Okay. <laughs> 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 I stroll it down the street. I think there is a bigger question about whether or not Michael Myers is interested in Laurie at all. I don't know that he is. Point. He Good just point. seems like he's point. just out and about. People dropped. He gets dropped off in front of her house, and he's like, "Oh, those lights are on." And like, he like, <laughs> like, I don't know that he is as obsessed as Lori thinks he is. I think yeah. he's just hanging around, just chilling. That that would be probably pretty important information for Lori to know. <laughs> like, actually, he doesn't care about you at all. This whole yeah. thing, all for naught. Hawkins spots Michaels, hits him, and then of course he goes to shoot him. But Doctor Sarton wants him to live, so he stabs. Uh, Hawkins and the jugular with one of his cool little secret pen knives. And then he goes, so this is what it feels like. And then he decides, uh, to, he like caresses Michael's mask delicately. And is like, I wonder what that little bad boy feels like. And maybe I'll take it out for a little spin. And he puts it on his own face and then pops up and scares the bejesus out of Allison, who, again, if a cop's like, hey, do you want to ride home? Don't ride in the back. We've all seen it a thousand times. That cop's going to die. You're going to be stuck back there with the psycho killer. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what happened. He's supposed to ride three in the front, though? Yeah, he always rides three in the front. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The shotgun. He just he, like, he, he, the doctor he, out. You straddle the, the gun or whatever that's in the middle. You straddle the gun. I don't know. I mean, I mean no, if, I was, I, if I was a six-year-old girl and then and there's do, do, this doctor and then husky old Hawkins, I'm like, I'm not sitting in the front with you guys either. Put me in the mm-hmm. back. Mm-hmm. Fair. How do we feel uh, about this scene? I, with the therapist. At least. I mean, I would be terrified to be in that back seat with him. Now, Elise, I don't want to pull in Elise here, but we did see this in Scream 2 when they have to climb over the <laughs> Actually. <laughs> yes. I, 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 think, I think that this sequence touches on something that I, I, I would like to think that these movies will explore a little bit more, and they've obviously – I think it's, there's so much in there that it has to be intentional. And I was joking about Michael Myers kind of like, does he even care? Like, he's just out for his Halloween, you know, fuck around. You know, like <laughs> – there is a lot of the world is manifesting his shit. Right. Yeah, it's very much like, like – um, What's the oh that movie about the two got the two kind of redneck guys that they just go out fishing? Chuck and Dale. Dale versus Evil. Versus evil. Oh, that's a great yeah, movie. they're 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 just they're it's falling in it's falling in their lap. This this keeps happening. Like it's, Michael Myers is just gonna cruise around, and some crazy doctor who's manifested this whole evil thing about him and who he is Michael's probably is, the, is probably the reason the bus crashed. Honestly, you know, mm-hmm. there's no scene, but the implication there is that the doctor probably had something to do with that bus crash. Michael was probably like, all right, I'm going to go for a ride tonight. And then he's just wandering around doing all this stuff. They'd put him at Lori's. Lori's like, you're never going to get me. And he's like, I mean, now I have to. Like, there's a lot of manifested energy Mm -hmm. towards Michael that I don't know that he is necessarily trying to put out himself. And I kind of like that. But, Nick, let me ask you. You're in that back seat Mm -hmm. with Michael. Mm -hmm. What do you do? Go through his pockets. What do you got in there, buddy? Got a couple, <laughs> oh, yeah. got a couple <laughs> ones from my Starbucks employees that I love. I'm going to step them mm-hmm. real good tomorrow, good, good venting. Uh, I shit my pants probably because I'm like, this yeah. is the worst situation. But as, as a setup, the doctor being, uh, you know, psychotic and wanting Michael to like, wanting to see evil firsthand, stupid. But the scene of him, like, this, the actual payoff for that, which she's locked in there, is terrifying. And I thought, mm-hmm. I, I, I was like, you can't argue with how the end result. 
I'm the right there, with, himself, right there with you. Let him die. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some of the plot, it felt like for this entire movie, this moment felt the most kind of rushed of like, you have a cool idea, we're just going to get there and move on. Where it's like, I don't know that this doctor would be like this. I kind of, I'm with James where I like it. I enjoy it. It's just weird for what the rest of this movie is. Yeah. This, this, move, this moment felt the most like the opening scene where I'm like, this is weird. And it gets to a good place, but it's fucking weird. Whereas the rest yeah. of the movie, I think, is a little bit more grounded. You yeah. Know it's- yeah, kind of like it's like it's like Goosebumps Haunted Mask or um, Goosebumps Haunted Mask Part Two, mm-hmm. where it's like or the mask part. has an energy and calls to you. You know, <laughs> didn't that girl go to your high school? <laughs> Wait, really? I don't know. Yeah, the girl, you, didn't didn't the girl from the movie from the show, from the show? go to your high school? Oh my wow, god! Wow, that is incredible. And I and I'm famous by proxy. Yeah, there we go. I don't what remember who. Me? You go, Joy. Oh, I was going to say, I don't remember who said it earlier, but about the fact that, like, Laurie has never been able to escape this because it's just kind of been, like, a a true crime tale that's kind of evolved and followed her. But I kind of do like the idea that this doctor has been roped into that and, like, there is the, like, sub-fandom or, like, the true crime fans that just do get really obsessed with, like, all of the killers and protagonists and, like, Mm -hmm. do have this weird obsession with, like, well, what, like, what happens in, like, all of these, uh, like, experiments that you couldn't actually do because they're not moral? Like, what does happen if we just do it? So, it's, it, I understand that there are, like, some doctor code, obviously, that he's violating. Yeah, by I think doing number this. one doctor code, don't kill people. Hippocratic oath, right? Is that what it's called? Yeah. <laughs> doctor code. Um, but it is interesting just to be like, oh, yeah, if this is such, like, a urban legend and true crime uh, mainstay in this universe that like people w- there would be this group of people that are kind of rooting for him and seeing what's going to happen right it, totally it's the cult of personality right it's the idea that michael myers is largely a character and then and they, uh, what does it do to different people uh for sure uh joey by the way i sent you a picture of laura dern now who is uh bruce yeah. daughter he'll know her of course from jurassic park wait is that really his daughter i believe mm-hmm. so yeah oh mm-hmm. learning something new every day laura dern's exactly. great kevin's wrong about that what, what? Hold on. What are Kevin's what? opinions? We're going to get distracted. Kevin has has negative Kevin opinions on Laura Dern. I, know, I don't really know why. Hard Laura Dern. Kevin dislikes Laura Dern oh, because he's not a huge sucks. fan of the, the Last Jedi. Or her role in Jurassic Volt, Park. If I'm being totally honest, let's just and I always will be. We can. Oh, what about the Lady Statler? What the yeah, fuck? She's perfect in Jurassic Park. Yeah, the, the Laura Dern Sam Neil one two punch combo is the might be the best thing from my childhood. She's the only person in the whole movie who makes every decision right. Correct. <laughs> Let's get out of here. Perfect. Anyway, what are we talking uh, about? <laughs> I don't even know. He says when he wakes, he'll be ready for the reunion. I would suspect that uh, Laurie's notion of being a predator, or, or excuse me, his notion of being a predator, or the fear of being prey is what keeps both Laurie and Michael alive is, is uh, what the doctor says here, and Allison's like, what the H are you talking about? He drives them over to Lori's house while two cops talk about bun me sandwiches, and this was the trio of the Danny McBride moments here. We were like, what? What? Uh, although I will tell you this. Mm-hmm. If you're ever in San Francisco, go to Dinosaur. Dinosaur, baby. Sandwich I miss those dinosaur spring rolls. Sometimes I just Joey, drive over there. Joey, you say the word any day. You just drive any right day, over. Joey. Lunch adventure. Uh, Dr. Tartan tells Allison that Michael has, he is like, he's never spoken. Uh, she tells him that Michael, she's like, oh yeah, well he says something to me. And the doctor's like, oh, what did he say? Tell me. She's like, I'll tell you if you let me out. And he goes, what was it, a word? She's like, it was one word. He goes, was it Judith? Was it, it was Judith, wasn't it? And she's like, just let me out of the car. 
Then the bunny officers watch as the car stops. I'm like, oh, that must be Hawkins. What a weirdo. Then they call him like a burnout. Like, what's that burnout doing? It's like, oh, it's messed up. Um, Michael stirs and kicks through the protective glass or protective grate uh, and just crams Dr. Sarton into the dashboard, killing him or, or hurting him, rather. Uh, he drags the doctor out onto the road as Allison escapes into the woods, stopping long enough to watch as Dr. Sarton speaks his last words. And he says, say something. And Michael says, I'm going to talk with my boots. And he stomps down on the doctor's head, squashing it like a pumpkin. Oh. I think it was even a pumpkin sound effect, too. Which is also weird. brutal. Yeah, there's like a crunch to that sound mm-hmm. that I did not enjoy. Uh, over in Lori's compound, Ray is playing with a yo-yo. And again, Ray, what do I got to do to get you to take this seriously, bro, bro? Like, what's happening here? He spots the sheriff car pulling up on the cameras outside and heads out for an update. Uh, but when he gets there instead, uh, he gets treated to a little, another little Halloween show that Michael has put on for his victims. Uh, one of the characters has his, uh, one of the sheriff's, Bunny Sheriff has his throat slit, and the other one is just a hollowed-out face skull with a flashlight in it like a jack-o'-lantern. Man, this is theatricality. He set that up and then sent the car on its way. He did. Mm -hmm. And put the flashlight through the head. Like 15 minutes for this. I'm like, no, no, I'm not going to chase the girl. Laura's up at school. I'm going to set this up. You've got to set the mood. And managed to do it without any of the people in the house hearing it, which is impressive. Do you think, Chris, I got this question for you. Do you think he got halfway through, like... You know when you when you start to carve a pumpkin, and you're like, oh, this is fucking more work than I thought it was going to be? Every time. You get halfway through, you're like, should, should I just give up on this? I'm just going to kill him anyway. Guys, What's I the difference between you and Mike Myers? Like, that's right. Follow, follow through, apparently. Follow through. That's the difference. Yeah. I can't tell you how purchasing, just purchasing that $120, don't buy the shitty orange flimsy <laughs> pumpkin carving kit that you can get at the, the convenience store. Spring for the 20 $25 stainless steel kit that you're going to reuse every year. One of the best purchase decisions of my life. I buy anywhere from 5 to 10 pumpkins a year. I'm a psychopath. <laughs> Wait, over the Some course of, them, of the year or at, in Halloween? Well, season? in the, the limited time that we can get pu- our access to pumpkins. Mm-hmm. But I will tell you, some of those pumpkins, you're going to carve them early. They're not going to make it to Halloween. And that's okay because you've sense. got this kit. I can't. If you want the link, I'll send you the link. You can put it below in the video description for this pumpkin carving. Oh, it's a free number right now. (laughs) Pays for itself in only twenty carvings. (laughs) (laughs) I'm serious. uh, By the time your kids have kids, this thing will have paid for itself. Let's see, Michael creeps up on Ray and strangles him to death. Lori sees it and locks the door. She grabs her shotgun and tells Karen to head down to the panic room. Uh, and Karen's like, where's Ray? And she's like, don't, don't worry about that right now. Uh, Michael bursts through the glass of the door and slams Lori's head into it. Uh, thankfully, go ahead, James. I was just going to say, it is a shame that after all that preamble and prep, he get he almost gets her right away <laughs> by reaching through the glass of the door. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like at yeah. least at least when Kevin McAllister was running from the wet bandits, like it took some do they they endured some of his bullshit before he ended up running yeah. out of steam and like getting dressed. He's fallen on some Hot Wheels or something. <laughs> something, yeah. That's on a spike. Oh, she's, been, was, she's been waiting for this for thirty years. She gets to, she has to get warmed up a little. Yeah, I just I just think I, I just like she needs a few she needs a few pitches and then she's ready to go. Sarah Connor wouldn't have done that. No, it's, it's a silly, silly, silly move that, like, was only because, like, oh, we need her to, like, scream so we can have a trailer yeah, yeah, shot. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I mean, I I agree wholeheartedly with what everyone's saying, but I did find myself liking this because 
she takes a beating in this and mm-hmm. does not drop her shotgun. And then when Mike when, when Michael lets one of his hands loose, she blows off three of his fingers. And I'm like, all right, eye for an eye here. Touche. I think this round. I mean, if I'm scoring this round, guys, dead even. Coming out yeah. of the first round. Uh, Lori heads downstairs and has a quick moment with Karen. She says, listen, he's coming. I was wrong to have raised you the way I did, and I apologize. I know you thought this was my cage. And then Michael's enter, Michael enters above them, and Lori immediately just starts pumping rounds into the ceiling to stop him. Uh, Karen tells her mother she loves her. As Lori heads upstairs to finish what Michael started back in 1978. Close quarters here, uh, which is real quick. Uh, Chris Inc., of course, you know, Recopius Hours playing first-person shooters. Do you bring the long-range rifle for the close quarters, or do you grab a shotgun, for Christ's sake? You always get the shotgun. I always get the shotgun, right? Get that street sweeper. Let's go. She brings that, she brings that like, but giant rifle right. that she's trying, to, she's, like, trying to make around quarters with. I'm like, he's going to grab that thing and take it away from you. And lo and behold, that's exactly what he does. Uh, you got an SMG in there like an MP7, though. That would be the bomb right there, Tim. That just just spray. 60-round mag. Boom. Anyway, uh, she goes room, room, clearing it. You can, you can do the 30 and increase your ADS speed. So you go. There goes him. That, that's why we call him the weapons arbiter. Yep. Ar- arbiter. Arbiter. Jesus, <laughs> God. Finish the damn. Just keep rolling. Keep rolling. Keep rolling. Anyway. She goes room to room, and as she clears the room, hits a little button on the side of the room, and a roll door falls down. I'm like, what a dope-ass so fucking cool. It's, it's like a choice. Like, a this is them as filmmakers being like, we're going to do this. And it's going to make a lot of people, it's going to turn people off. They're going to be like, it's taking it too far. But it's also going to make a lot of people really happy. And I thank you. I thank you, filmmakers. You made me happy. I just, uh, I want to see the scene, again, talking about the latest scenes. I want to see, because we've all gotten up in the middle of the night. You know, you think you know where the switches are in your home, but when it starts, you're reaching around, you hit the wrong one, you're like, oh, shit, that was a router. Like, that always happens. Is there any point where she got up in the middle of the night reaching around, and then she realizes, oh, God damn it, I'm in the guest room for the next four hours. <laughs> you think those things are on a timer, or you think that's just one and done? She's got it's probably on the other side or whatever. Is it right, some sort right, of release? I don't know. Yeah. Oh, she has a fuse box. There you go. Yeah. Um, of course, I'm sorry, I missed this part. Before she does this, of course, she looks over and looks into a closet uh, downstairs that has those, like, Venetian blind, the old wood blinds, similar to the one she got trapped in at the end of Halloween. He's not in there. She goes upstairs, uh, finishes off each room one by one with the roll doors until finally uh, she gets uh, to her, I think it's her bedroom. Uh, let's see. Ah, perfect. Yeah, of course, that bedroom has a bunch of mannequins in it. And I was like, who set these up? Did Michael set this up? How much time did he have? Um, you think she does like shooting target practice from her bed? In case I guarantee she does. I think she yeah, wakes up out of a dead sleep and just pop, 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 you know. No, I, I think I think she cleared the first floor and then now she's moving to the second floor. And I think there's just an empty room on the second floor. Ah, okay, that makes that sense. That has all the mannequins in there that she's just storing in there. But I do like yeah. the idea of her waking up in the middle of the night. That bang, bang, bang. Because she, she yeah. moves them around, doesn't remember where they are, and then pops up and has to hit all three of them. Yeah. Uh, she, of course, sees another closet, very similarly laid out, by the way, this room to the one she hid into uh, back in Halloween 78. Uh, she sees a trail of blood over there. She's like, gotcha, Michael. Boy, she opens it up. Who should she find stuffed in there like a Christmas goose? Good old Ray. Nobody cares about Ray. Everybody loves Raymond. Nobody cares about Ray. <laughs> Michael oh, jumps out. Oh, no, she's like, who's this? Oh, yeah, right. Who, Ray, who are you yeah, that's right. Okay. 
who's this random person? Something like, I've never met this man before in my life. Uh, <laughs> Do you Michael, think he would have cared about this character, Ray, if he was played by Ray Romano? Yes. Everyone loves Ray. Oh, wow. Oh, it's Michael Myers. Wow. <laughs> oh, big fan. Oh, yep. wow. Is that Michael Myers? I'm sorry. We'll get there. No, uh, it's, the it's the fucking best. Michael, of course, jumps out from behind one of the mannequins and immediately disarms Lori because she does not have enough time to bring that 40-foot rifle up to aim down the sights. Again, Lori, take a freaking – get an SMG or a shotgun. Come on, you got the means. Uh, Lori takes a knife out, and then they just start tussling, and Michael throws her uh, – she stabs she a little bit, then Michael throws her off the balcony, and she lands on the ground below. Allison enters the house and starts calling for everyone, and Michael's attention is momentarily drawn to her voice, but when he looks back, Lori's body is gone. And I just write in all caps, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> this moment is amazing. I don't care if they did it in Scream. I don't care if they did it in all the horror movies before this. It worked here for me. True, I think it worked better when they had to climb over the body in Scream 2. I'll give you that one, Elise, okay? Okay. Uh, <laughs> Carol, I love it. I love this nerd character. <laughs> it's called Elise. Carrot <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, lets Allison into the basement while Michael searches for them above. Uh, he grabs one of those fire pokers and starts ripping apart the kitchen. Uh, Karen and Allison freak. They're cornered. Karen spots her childhood rifle with her initials carved into it and grabs it. And then she aims it up the stairs. Very, very much uh, uh, at this point, very stressed and very, very tense scene. Uh, Michael rips open the entrance to the basement as Karen cries out to her mother to save them. As her hands shake, she screams, I can't do it. I'm sorry. And then Michael finally shows himself. And in a flash, Karen drops the facade and says, gotcha. And just pulls that trigger and rips around. It's quiet. It's the only thing Michael actually says in any of the movies. But he pops out and he goes, don't cry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then out of the shadows of the closet behind him presumably where they keep the Captain Crunch with Crunchberry you hear Laurie Strode say happy Halloween Michael and then she jumps out and stabs his ass and he falls down the stairs as Karen and Alan rush past him but not before Michael grabs Karen's foot and starts to drag her back down she yells for her daughter to run but Allison knows what needs to be done she looks over and sees the bloody my, uh, butcher, my, butcher knife that Michael used to stab all of his victims, and she grabs it and stabs him in the shoulder, sending him tumbling down the stairs. Lori, thinking quickly, looks down at him and then triggers another set of trapdoors, this time shooting steel spikes through the wood, ah. locking Michael into the basement, and then she turns on the gas. Karen tells her daughter, the basement isn't a cage. It's a trap. As Lori fires up a flare and says goodbye to Michael dropping it in. Michael stares vacantly up at them as the entire house starts to ignite around him in flames. Uh, And then Lori, Karen, and Allison make it to the road as the house burns behind them. Allison flags down a truck and they hop in and we close on a shot of all three women huddled in the back of the truck bed. Allison still holds tightly onto the handle of Michael's bloody knife. Kick me that badass theme song in those credits. Can I just say though that like I love the ending until there's a sequel. Yeah, there's a like, sequel. It's the, it stupidest, it's the stupidest thing you'd ever do. He's down there. He's in the basement. On the yeah. Shoot him a thousand times from the head and everywhere else. Igniting the house and not witnessing him burn to a crisp forever. 
it's the it's the worst thing you could do. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah but we get the, we get the teaser trailer of just her screaming "Let it burn" is the coolest thing ever. Though. I know it's <laughs> it's perfect for this movie, and it's one of those things that I wish we could sometimes restrain from having sequels to everything because it's the perfect yeah. ending. I know, but yeah. as soon as as soon as this movie came out, it was like five days later. They're like two sequels have been. Confirmed, and I was like, I was like, well, then they're fools, fools. (laughs) It's 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 totally that Doctor Evil moment where he's like, I'm gonna gonna set you up with like sharks with lasers on their head and then leave you in there. And he's like, you're not gonna just just kill him now. I'll go get my gun. We can kill him together. He's like, Scotty, no, Scotty, no. I can't do it. I'm sorry. Anyway, it's amazing. It's an amazing moment, but just drives me crazy because obviously the sequel is coming out. And the only reason the sequel is because they decided to burn the goddamn house down (laughs) 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 with the rifle. Uh, was there a post-credit sequence? There's breathing, yeah, right? Him breathing is hurt. He lives. He lives. Like, guys, I'm so excited for Halloween Kills Me this too. week because watching that trailer, it seems like they're just doubling down on what I loved about this one, which is just like, look, we know he's a bad guy and it's all about the kills, but it's also about the characters we care about and them not dying. And the fact that the plot of this one seems to be, look, it's taking place immediately after, and now the town's like, we fucking had it, Michael. We're taking you down. We're all together. And I'm like, this is such a stupid plot. I'm like, it has to be this. It has to be this. Dude, it's like all the townspeople in beginning or like in the backstory of Friday the Thirteenth, where they're like, "We're all going to get together, just burn Freddy alive." Maybe this is a prequel to that. Well, again, my my only real hangups about this movie is that for me, there's parts that are a little shaky because they didn't control the runway, right? They're they're building off of something else that wasn't theirs. So I think the sequel is going to be amazing because they got to build the the runway for this movie. Right. So, mm-hmm. an interesting thing with that, I, I was reading an interview with Danny McBride, and he was talking about how originally they were going to shoot two movies back-to-back. It was going to mm-hmm. be 2018 and then one more sequel that they were going to write together. Mm-hmm. And they decided with the director, they're like, we can't do that. Like, we need to prove ourselves with one mm-hmm. first, and then we can commit to the story we want to tell. Mm-hmm. So that's why it ended up being what it is now, where there was the 2018, and then now they're doing the two back-to-back ones. Mm-hmm. Well, that turned just out into way too drawn out and, like, not as good. We'll have to wait and see. But uh, it's interesting that they did have that idea of, like, telling the, the full story. So, mm-hmm. Elise, I now leave it to you to kick us off with Haiku and Review. Damn, <laughs> <laughs> uh, for the first and last line. If you're not poetic, no need to fret it. Haiku. What did I say? Fret it? Yeah. <laughs> right? That's right. What's wrong with it? Haikus don't have to rhyme. Haiku. <laughs> <laughs> you, you're killing it. Why are you down yourself? Oh, hey, no doubts. No doubts. You can go to patreon.com slash kind of funny to write your review in haiku form, just like Joe Mertens does, who has a three-parter here. Halloween, you have. No security system. Karen. Halloween. I don't know if I like the structure of this, which is adding Halloween. It's a felon syllable. Return to classics. Babysitter scene is dope. Julian. Oh, shit. <laughs> Great modern horror. And how rad is the new score? Jamie Lee is queen. Mm-hmm. Okay, Soda writes in saying, Doctor is a creep. Damn. It's not a panic room. It's a killing room. Killbox. Mm-hmm. We got Mike L. Myers from the chat writing in saying, Film shines every time. JLC is given lines. T2, Home Alone. 
World's Most Violent Podcasters Are in Danger from Michael and Snakes. That's a kind of funny joke for you. <laughs> and then Natalie writes in saying, you got a tattoo to commemorate the night just for dry humping? <laughs> it's what dry humping represents, people. Come on. Uh, let's do a little thing I like to call Ragu Bagu. Joey, hit it. Ragu. Bagu. What's up, everybody? Bad butt. <laughs> My mouth stopped working. It stopped working. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Rad Guys Talk. Bad Guys here for the Halloween in review series. Uh, what do we have? Number one is just Michael Myers, right? Yeah. How do we? Where do we want to rank Michael Myers? Well, I'm saying I said it's the doctor in this. Is kind well, of a bad uh, we were going to rank the therapist. Like you're recall. Right. Well, That's what it was. Thank you. This is the, this movie's the reason why I, told, I suggested ranking the yeah. therapist. Okay. This is yeah. so fucking yeah. bad. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so we're in ragu bagu now. Do not fret, my friends. We will in a second get to therapy for you and me, which is what we decided to call the podcast of the podcast, okay. ranking how bad the psychiatrists are. Okay. I want to. Uh, I have a. A ragu bagu, I think it's not the right one. This one's number one, the, the blind man and money, and number two is Donnie Wahlberg and the Funky Bunch. I think that might be from Lights Out, so I will. Not Lights I Out. Don't breathe. Don't I mean, breathe. I That's what it is. Thank you. We could also just kind of rate like how we could compare Michael to himself. I mean, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's well, movie to movie. Yeah. So it's Michael Myers in one, his kills, what he does, his mistakes, all that stuff, and then it's Michael Myers in this movie, what he does, which I think I, he's better in this. He's so kid in this one, guys. This yeah. Not a baby. Yeah. He pulled all the teeth out of that one guy? Yeah. yeah. He may have fallen out when he was just <laughs> trying to break his jaw. <laughs> yeah, that's on what the psychiatrist's face just stomps on. Yeah. Oh. Oh, yeah, I, I, I think it's an easy 2018 yeah. one. Because like, I think that they, they had fun with it. It's like he mm-hmm. had the crazy kills. He still had the... Uh, theatrical qualities of like you know having like exposing the dead people to the people that aren't dead quite yet mm-hmm. so yeah I- I'm gonna give it to him learned a lot about ourselves and each other yeah, yeah. along the way would yeah. you have killed that baby yeah. at least I would have uh, any baby that throws hands baby comes at me <laughs> you know, you see how aggressive that baby drops his pacifier it's impossible for me to not picture myself slowly blacking out against the bathroom wall as Michael Myers goes into the stall to kill Nick. Like, it's just it's the only Perfect. thing I can picture now. I'd like to think oh. that I would have grabbed that crowbar and done some good damage with it, but truth is I would have I would have mm-hmm. just crumpled. I would have <laughs> folded, for sure. Does anyone have an argument for Michael Myers from the 1978 one over the 2018 one? No. Younger, he's handsome. <laughs> More, <laughs> More nimble, yeah. yeah. So now, Ragu Bagu currently Michael Myers from 2018, and then number two, Michael Myers. From 1978. Now it's time for therapy for you and me. I don't know if we have a theme song. I don't remember. Therapy for you and me. Is he crazy or am I crazy? It's therapy for you and me. Who's going to kill that baby? Uh, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to therapy for you and me for, for Halloween in review. Right now we got Dr. Loomis, number one, I will say. Where do we want to put Dr. Sartan? And this is by order of number one being the most incompetent, or like most yeah, how worst, bad they are. worst yeah. therapist. Yeah, I definitely uh, think Zartan is Loomis is is like a pretty shitty therapist. Yeah, but this but he guy, didn't want to kill people. 
Well, I was gonna say this guy is actively yeah. contributing to their body count as like, a serial killer. Fanatic as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's fanatic. Yeah. I definitely put Zartan above Loomis on this one. Yeah. Yeah. Stood by a bunch of bushes. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you know, here's the thing I will say is Loomis tried for like a long time, like twenty mm-hmm. years. Doctor Sartan, I don't know, also tried for a long time. I mean I he guess it would have been also twenty years, right? Yeah, yeah, good point. Anyone can wear the mask. Anyone can wear the mask. You're right. Mm-hmm. Right. Ratatouille. Damn it. Spider-Verse. It's all connected. <laughs> all connected. Now it's time to rank the Halloween movies. Currently, number one is Halloween 1978. Where do we want to put Halloween 2018? I think it's got to go number one. Right? Number one. I think it's number one. Yeah. It's number one. Yeah. Number one, man. I mean, you gotta appreciate the bones of the other one existing. You always must give credit to the bones, but I don't think this is necessarily like a scream situation where it's like the bones still are timeless. <laughs> I think that's like got through that discussion. I think this is a better made movie for sure. I agree. I think this movie is entertaining from start to finish. I think it's just a fun, you know, horror movie that just hits on all cylinders. You gotta put it number one. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. It's number one for me, like, for the simple reason that it commits to this vision of kind of creating a superhero element almost to Michael Myers and to Laurie Strode, where we're rooting for both of them to do different things that are antagonistic to each other, but, like, we want to see both happen, and they they make use of that promise, and they kind of, like, fulfill it all, where they give it to us, where there's so many get-hype moments in this in a horror movie, and, and the get-hype moments aren't necessarily all just kills or, like, oh, that was gory or bloody it's like that was dope as shit and i can't wait for the sequel like that's crazy i can't believe that i can't wait for a halloween sequel you know mm-hmm. so good job right there with you you did it you did it next Thanks. up kyle richards called halloween <laughs> kills kills yeah it's gotta be dope mm. gotta oh, be dope and then the next one's halloween ends what are they gonna do what are they gonna do we'll have yeah. to find just say real quick the mm-hmm. only way you can get away with these three is if you start around 3.15 in the afternoon. Oh. The trick-or-treating, I mean. Like, you got to start early. And I think that's <laughs> what they've shown us today, is that it's okay to start early. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I wonder what's going to happen in these movies, because we know that the next one starts where this one ends, mm-hmm. so it's not going to take place on Halloween. Oh, yeah, what time is it? You know, we're running out of hours. We're running out of I mean, what time like are you putting it? Hour first? Hour <laughs> exactly. Yeah, 24. yeah. But well, then when Halloween ends, like, what's going to happen? I can't wait to find out. We'll yeah, be back it's, later it's this one. week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're done. <laughs> but uh, we'll be back later this week. Let us know in the comments below what you thought of Halloween 2018 and how excited you are to see if Kyle Richards lives or dies in Halloween Kills. My money's on dies. I hope that it's not really. We'll see. We'll wow. see. But until next time, I love you all. Goodbye. Don't ever cross Lisa Vanderpump. Welcome back to Kind of Funny's Batman in Review. That's right, we are ranking and reviewing and recapping every single theatrically released Batman movie. That means that this is the 13th movie we are reviewing in the Batman franchise. Of course, I'm Tim Geddes, and I'm joined by the Nitro Rifle Andy Cortez. Great afternoon, gamers. The Big Daddy Greg Miller. 
I'm Batman! The producer slash seducer Nick Scarpino. I mean, I wanted to say I'm Vengeance, but Greg stole it with his Watto Batman, so I'll just say hello. <laughs> oh, I'm so and sorry, Nick. I'm so sorry that we have to bring our fights to the stage here, you and me. <laughs> God forbid we check it at the door once in a while. And uh, Big Dog Kevin Koala. What's up, dude? <laughs> <laughs> I think you guys are such idiots. I hate you all. Hey, I, I almost wore that shirt today. Almost did. But then the Raws wore one got pulled. But I appreciate you wearing it. Good one. Andy, that's good one. Andy, you did good with this one. Well, it's mostly Chris, Chris Anka. Anka. Yeah, that's why okay, I think Chris Anka, you did good. Andy, you sucked with this one. I did all the colors and I did all the shading. No, nah, that's the least. Wow, blue and pink, least pink on yeah. black. You know what I mean? You didn't even <laughs> call it a gun. If you're a tracer. He turned it, he, he gave me a line drawing and I gave it life. You fucking trace. Admit it. <laughs> you fucking trace, Andy. It's time like this that I go. didn't review. What's up, Nick? You go it's time like this that I go, what if this is the first one that someone listened to in the yeah. whole series? You know what I mean? That's on like, them. Well, That's on what them. What are they thinking? What are they thinking? They tuned this, It only gets I, better than this. I definitely think that this is going to be one of the episodes that gets more views than normal because we are reviewing The Batman for this show. Kind of funny in review, where each and every week we get together to rank, review, and recap different movie franchises. If there is a franchise you love out there, chances are we, this group of fucking idiots, has probably <laughs> ranked, reviewed, and recapped them. So you can go check that out, whether it's Fast and Furious, Star Wars, Mission Impossible, John Wick, Pixar, all of that stuff. We do it right here on YouTube.com slash Kind of Funny. Greg Miller, how you doing? I'm great. I think it'd be worth pointing out then, since I didn't realize we were trying to do this as an entry point. People might say, hey, wait, why aren't any of the DCEU films on this Batman list, Tim? That's an excellent call, because we did a DCEU in review, so you can watch that as well, that has all of the movies in that universe. Um, and we will be returning to that universe pretty soon with our Peacemaker in review that's coming in two weeks that we're going to do to rank that against all of the movies we've had so far since it is in that universe. But next week, we're coming back with Pixar in review for Turning Red. Really exciting, the new movie coming to Disney Plus next week. Uh, but today, we're talking about The Batman. Again, you can get this on YouTube.com slash kindoffunny or roosterteeth.com. You can also get it as a podcast by searching your favorite podcast service for Kind of Funny in review, and we'll be right there for you. If you wanted to get the show ad-free, if you wanted to watch it live as it's recorded, you got to go to patreon.com slash kindoffunny, just like our Patreon producers, Molecule, Gordon McGuire, Fargo Brady, and Pranksy have done. We appreciate you all so very much. Today we're brought to you by Guild Wars 2, but I will tell you all about that later. Let's get right into it. The Batman. The movie's working title was Vengeance, and that's cool as fuck. Uh, it had a runtime of that. two hours and 56 minutes, which makes it the longest Batman movie to date, and the second longest theatrically released comic book movie of all time, only behind Avengers Endgame, which was eight minutes longer. Uh, it was released on March 4th, 2022, and will be released on HBO Max in 45 days. Uh, the first live-action Batman film to not feature any scenes shot with IMAX cameras since Batman Begins in 2005. Uh, so while this movie is being heavily promoted uh, with IMAX and stuff, you do not get the extra screen real estate watching it that way. So that's an interesting thing to keep in mind. I would recommend people watch this movie in Dolby Vision if they have the option, because I was pretty let down with how gray a lot of the blacks were in the the screening that we went to, and it was pretty distracting to me. But I know I care about that stuff more than most. Uh, how movie, much is Dolby paying you? Not okay. enough. And how do we get uh, in that? I was going to say, honestly, Tim, I was, uh, I was pleasantly surprised by that screening, because I was 
But immediately when they said go to number 15, I was like, oh, oh no. no. This so is gonna, I was hoping this is going to suck. But I thought, like, I, I don't know. I, I know that they recently upgraded those seats. It felt like it felt like a room that was meant for screening because I had never been in a non-Dolby one in a while. So probably since our Shang-Chi sort of when we rented out that theater for just the kind of funny employees. But I was pleasantly surprised by the – visuals and the vibe of the room because i was expecting like bubble gum on the floor <laughs> couple making out in the back you know what i mean i just i wasn't mm. expecting a good time yeah i'm specifically talking about the dolby vision tech which is the stuff that we all joke about we see the intro where it's like you thought this was black yeah this is black. yeah is the protector still on and i feel like for a movie like this that, that there's there's so much loving care i mean uh, uh our boy rudy uh hit me up with a, a text yesterday showing me that matt reeves personally wrote a letter to theaters with, like, the exact color temperature and the exact, like, uh, awesome. luminance that he wants projectors to be playing in the movie. So it's like, they give a fuck about that stuff. So I just, I, next time I see this movie, I'm going to make sure that it's a Dolby Vision theater. Yeah, Matt but, Reeves puts the trailers on Vimeo. Like, that's how much the dude cares. He's like, yeah. yo, YouTube's 1080p shitty compression. Here's the Vimeo that. 4K native link. It's so awesome. Uh, this was directed by Matt Reeves, the same dude that directed Cloverfield, Dawn, and War of the Planet of the Apes, which are incredible movies. And if you're new to this, we just did a Planet of the Apes in review, so you can check that out. Uh, and then now here he is, directing The Batman. Music was done by who, Nick? Michael Giacchino. Yeah, dude. He fucking he did, and he did a great job with it. Although at some point I started humming the main theme and then I started humming the, the Empire, the, like the Empire's theme from Star Wars, and I was like, ah, they're oddly similar. But you know what? They're both great. Who cares? That's kind of cool. That's kind of dark. I like that a lot. We're, I'm sure we're going to talk more about the score later. Uh, a budget of $200 million, and in terms of the box office, obviously it's a movie that is not even out yet in, in most places, but it is on track for $125 million opening weekend, uh, which is really impressive, and honestly, I think it's going to even crush that. I think it's going to be a lot higher than that when all is said and done. Um, so, without further ado, I want everyone to understand this is full spoilers from this moment on. There will be no spoiler-free thing. If you want a spoiler-free review, check out the kind of funny screencast review of the Batman we posted a couple days ago. So, full spoilers. Greg Miller. Hi. What did you think of the Batman? Um, I liked it. I enjoyed myself. I've, you know, I knew this moment was coming where you'd ask me this question, and I've wrestled with it, Tim. I've gone back and forth around and around with it. And what I find interesting about the Batman is two things. Of course, we have the Kind of Funny Review scale here. Uh, I think the official Kind of Funny Review on this one is four out of five, right? So it's great. I sit there, and I feel like it's a head versus heart uh, argument for me, where in my head I say this movie is visually stunning. It's great. The performances and the the character uh, deliveries here are great. I mean, for Catwoman, for for Batman, for Gordon, I love all of that. Um, I love how they change. Uh, it, it, they play with uh, what we expect Batman to be. I think in a lot of different ways of like him showing up at the Iceberg Lounge and knocking on the door, him working literally shoulder to shoulder with the GCPD, uh, you know, some day, daylight stuff with him and Catwoman on the rooftops or whatever, and let alone the ending, right, where he decides, like, no, it can't be vengeance, it's got to be hope, which I think is a very interesting take, and I'm interested to see where that goes. I say all that stuff. All that stuff's great. I think it's all great. But when people have asked me since then, what did I think of this film, all I can muster is, it's good. It's It's been good. Which I think it makes it a three out of five for me, an okay on the kind of funny scale. Because of course the okay can be it's okay, it's, you know, it's not the worst thing in the world. Or it can be it's good, it's okay. You know what I mean? And I feel 
that's where I, I'm at with my heart, where I just can't, I am not thinking about this movie nonstop. And I can't really put my finger on why. Like, since I saw it, I haven't, like, been, oh, my God, and this and that and blah, blah. I saw it. I enjoyed it. What I keep coming back to is, you know, there. I'm a comic book fan, as everybody knows, and I feel like there are so many amazing Batman stories, whether we're talking about Long Halloween or Hush or, you know, the list goes on, right? You want to put it out there. But then, of course, there are monthly and weekly Batman books that tell you a Batman story that you enjoy and you put down and you never reference again. Or don't think about the same way you think about something that you would put on a pedestal. And I feel like that might be what this is to me. This is a Batman movie. I love Batman. I love seeing Batman do stuff. I enjoyed this movie, and I left this movie, and I'm not forever changed by it. And perhaps that's, you know, um, an unfair thing to put on it. But I think, of course, coming off the Nolan movies, like what it felt like to leave Batman Begins, what it felt like to leave The Dark Knight, uh, to go back to Burton movies and, like, what it was like to see that happen. I'm just in an interesting spot with this where this was a good Batman movie. I enjoyed myself. And, you know, today uh, we originally had booked off this afternoon to go see it as a company so we'd be able to review it tomorrow, but we were able to get into a screening. Uh, we had booked a babysitter so Jen could actually go to a movie theater with me again and actually see a movie. And it's one of those where I'm like, okay, not super stoked for another three hours, but I'm I'm excited enough to you know I'm I'm excited for the experience of going to the movies, but I'm not like I can't wait to see this movie again. Before moving on to someone else, do you think that watching it again might change your opinion, or are you kind of go in where like you're feeling kind of locked on it? I I I think it could like again like it's a weird thing because I'm not I know this sounds negative I'm not negative I enjoyed it I you should go see this movie it's just that. I feel like the trailers gave too much away, and granted, part of our job is going through the trailers frame by frame. Uh, and then the other thing I think the movie struggles with is that it's what I, this is the 13th Batman film we're talking about right now in this, let alone other Batman stuff that's come before. So, like, I feel like there's a lot of things they do in this movie that I've seen other people do, and while this might look the most, uh, the it might look better, it might be better because it's more recent or something, the emotional impact isn't there. And I think they they toe a line in a very interesting way with this one, you know, and even when we're leading up to it, where it was the whole thing of, like, man, maybe this is going to be like the Telltale games where the Waynes aren't good people, right? We get here and it's like, no, they still are. They did the, they did this one thing and it was a bad decision. And that's really why. Oh, man, they fucking killed Alfred? No, he's still alive. He's over there. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I feel like there's a we could have made some changes here. But, again, that's me projecting on what, not what actually is on the silver screen. It's what me saying what I'd like to see it a bit more. So, yeah, I, I think coming in with lowered expectations and – not being like, oh, I remember this part. Oh, I remember this part. Oh, here's where he's going to say, I got you. I got you. We'll see. <laughs> Andy Cortez. Um, I love this movie. I I think that this movie kind of c- cements Matt Reeves as a director that I will go see whatever that dude's working on. Mm-hmm. Um, when I think of the other big directors that I really enjoy, and I don't think I really realize this until rewatching War and Dawn of the Planet, or War for and Dawn right. of. Dawn oh, of. Wait. Yeah, no, Dawn. Yeah, Dawn. Yeah, the two Apes movies he made. Right. Uh, I don't think I really necessarily realized that until watching those two films. And I think this movie kind of uh, puts him in that upper echelon of directors for me where it doesn't really matter to me now what the IP is. I'm going to want to watch it because I think he's that damn good. I think he's that damn talented. Um, I love the cast. I enjoyed everybody's performances in this, save for a couple of few questionable lines of written dialogue that kind of, I don't really know about that one. um, Surprised that one made the final cut sort of things. Um, But I think the, this is not a Batman movie I've ever seen before. I've never seen 
the detective angle. I'm not familiar with comics. I know that he's always been called the world's greatest detective. I've never seen that uh, necessarily. And I think this movie does a great job of it. This is essentially, um, this is damn close to like a rated R movie. Like this felt like a rated R movie without it necessarily being one. And maybe because they dropped the F word in the beginning, I'm like, oh, there's rated R, but if not, it's not everybody. Um, this felt like watching Seven and Batman combined. Um, I enjoy the mystery behind it. Um, nothing gets me quicker than a villain who's kind of always ahead, a couple steps ahead. Um, I enjoy the tension that all that brought. I love knowing that when Paul Dano finally gets arrested at the cafe, I go, we still have a ways to go in this movie. What else is in store for us? Um, I didn't mind the riddles kind of immediately being answered by Batman. Like, I, I wasn't going into this movie hoping to kind of try to find out who the killer was all along. I just enjoy getting to those moments where Paul Dano's menacingly saying, like, this isn't it, and going like, God damn, what else does he have in store for this place? Um, I thought it was fantastic. I think it's shot incredibly well. Um, again, I really love I loved Robert Pattinson's portrayal of Batman. I love the narration of it. I think that's something that I maybe haven't seen a whole lot in Batman movies. I'm not sure if if I remember a lot of voiceover of, like, Batman kind of, that was hey, awesome. hey, it's me, Batman. What's going on? Like, <laughs> welcome. You're with me for a few hours. What's uh, what's uh, a Tobey Maguire sort of intro to Spider-Man? <laughs> <It's kind> of, <laughs> I'm forgetting well, that you intro. You know me? Yes, again, buddy. Yes, again. You don't That's know anything. Me. You don't That's not me either. either. I mean, hell, I'd even give it to be him. Yeah. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, on the side I, of the bus. I enjoyed a lot of the takes that they that they brought to this version of Batman. Um, and the score was 